Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast. This is episode 90, Matt Taibbi interview recap. Let's chat about my interview with Matt Taibbi and feel free to discuss other things as well. I know you guys like to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller, which is the lovely Miss Delthea. What's going on, Delthea? Hey, can you hear me? I can, I can hear you loud and clear. Good. Um, first, I want to say that I love Matt Taibbi. Okay, the man is doing yeoman's work. And I appreciate it. I know he, he is, he is, he is awesome. Like I, I can't believe I, I honestly got a chance to talk to him because like, he's very, <laughs> very, very, very busy. And I mean, obviously, you know, writing a book, the Twitter files, mm-hmm. and I think everybody wants to interview him right now because of the Twitter files. So mm-hmm. just the fact that he was able to make the time, like that means a lot. Well, Sabby, I sometimes think that you don't realize just how, big you're getting a lot of people will come on your show more than you think you think so i don't feel big what what? i'm (laughs) telling you you big didn't you say he was a fan yeah i know i know yeah (laughs) i was i was i was surprised by that i i was just like wow like i'm i'm honored really see Like I said, he was glad to come on your show, not just because you're popular, which you are, but because you're fair-minded and you can be tough, but you're never sneaky. The sneaky thing? Yeah, I don't like that. I I, I really don't like that. I've I've seen that done to people before um, in interviews. I remember during the 2020 elections and I felt like I hate to bring up the show, but the view, the women of the view, <laughs> I, I felt like they were sneaky with some of the candidates. And although like, I don't agree with Tosi Gabbard on some things, but I felt like they were really sneaky with that interview with her, the way they interviewed her. And I felt the same way when they interviewed Andrew Yang the first time. Mm-hmm. They, they, I, I just, I don't like that. I don't like, like, uh, like for example, for, for those who are not aware, when I invited Rokana on, I told Rokana what I wanted to talk about. So it, it was not a, for people saying like, oh, he was probably shocked. No, he knew exactly what my concerns were mm-hmm. and what I wanted to discuss. Um, so I don't, I don't like sneak attack interviews. I don't like that. Right. And you don't do that. And that's why people like you. You get people, you get, you'll get bigger and bigger people all the time. And you'll also get some people are always going to run from you because of that. And motherfuckers will run. Let me tell you. Let me. What you talking about? Listen, part of my life, people. Let me tell you, people will run if you do. Some people don't have a problem with it, but for some, if you do like the sneak attack interview with them, they will run far and 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 far, far, far away. And then also they can tell other people not to come on because of the way what you did to them. Because like, that's, I really just don't like that. I I don't like that sneak attack thing. I think it's, you need to be fair, even if you want to disagree with them. Like I said, even for like Rokana, he knew exactly what I was upset about Mm -hmm. beforehand. 
but he couldn't get out the interview. <laughs> he couldn't, well, he he couldn't get out of the interview because of who you are. That's, uh, what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If you, if he had, if he had agreed, and he later found out, oh, well, I'm stuck now because I can't get out of it. You have more power than you think. You really do. Oh wow, that's that's interesting. I mean, I I I, I try. Like I said, I, I I try to be fair. Um, and. It took, it takes practice. I mean, like there were interviews I did very, very early on where I look back on it and I was like, uh, I probably should have pushed back on that point. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I learned through practice, but I think that you can disagree with people without, without, without doing a sneak attack. You can. And, and, and some people are still going to call it an attack, you know? Yeah. I'm often oh. telling people, no, baby, I'm not attacking you. <laughs> I am disagreeing with you. You will know when I am attacking you by the great amount of pain and blood that will ensue. There are some people that I, I've I've met, you know, e- even when I used to work for the paper when I was in college, there were some people that I met that they were afraid to disagree with people. They, they didn't want to. Yeah. But I have to because sometimes other people are just wrong. Um, now, I I wanted to say that about Matt, about the um about the, the, the derailment. Second thought, um, the YouTuber Second Thought has done a really good um piece on that. He went to Palestine and he did a video of his visit there. And one of the things that he did, which I thought was amazing, it's real simple. He took a stick and stuck it in a creek. And when he did, all this oil and stuff just came up on top of the water. That's how that's how bad that spill is. If you just touched, I mean, you can look at the water and it'll look clear. But if you disturb it just the least little bit, all those chemicals will come to the top. I need to invite him on. He's another one that people told me because I played some of his videos before. But he's another one that people told me I need to bring him on because... He's a, a more of a, a newer socialist. I don't know if you guys yes. are here. Yeah, he he became um, a socialist. Uh, I think originally he might have been liberal and, and more so progressive. And eventually he became a socialist because he realized that of all these things that he was complaining about, at the end of the day, capitalism was the problem. Well, I think when he first started, he was doing like gamer stuff, you know, talking about video games and stuff like that. And then he changed over to the politics. And he he lost a lot of people for that. Is Vosh Vosh started? Wasn't Vosh originally a gamer? I'm not sure. He may have been. He's of that age. Um, But I would tell everybody to watch the second thought one. And I have, I, I gotta, I gotta talk about, I gotta talk about Bree. And I gotta talk about this chick. What's her name? <laughs> who wrote the book? Bethany Mandel. Bethany Mandel. I used to love the name Bethany. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> Bethany. Bethany. Oh, sweetie. Oh, dear, dear Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I, I, I was watching it, and when, and I was like you when, 
when Bree said, could you define it? My ears perked up. I was like, okay, I, I want to hear this. <laughs> and when she started with the well of the oob the and everything, and it was like she was having major technical difficulties, please don't stand by. <laughs> I said, oh my God, this is going to blow up so big. And it did. But then she did the thing where she was talking about what Bree said, and that's what threw her off. And I was like, oh, I knew it. I knew Karen was going to show up, and Karen showed up. Karen, I always know when Karen's going to show up, and she did. <laughs> now, of course, now, Bethany, Bethany Karen, um, you, you, you now look like, you know, a whiny white woman. That's not, a, that's not a good look, Bethany Karen. That that's not a good look at all. Don't 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 do that, baby. Don't. No no. Don't go. No 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 no. Don't don't. And then do and then she went on Twitter and started attacking Bree for like. Yeah. No idea. That was uncalled for. She probably could have flown under the radar, and maybe it wouldn't have gone viral if she didn't put out that tweet. <sighs> yeah, she drew she drew attention to herself. Or if she'd have just said, you know what? I went on there, I froze, my bad, and just let it go. But she didn't. Yeah. She began to channel her inner Karen, and Karen came out, and that just made it worse. Remember in the um the Eddie Murphy thing where he was talking about the cookout and Aunt Bunny yeah. falling down the steps? And how yeah. Aunt Bunny kept trying to stop the fall, that just makes the fall take longer. Yeah. <laughs> You know, now you got a half hour fall. That's what <laughs> she was at Bunny falling down the steps. She also did a no no in television, by the way, you guys. You don't after the interview, you don't go online or on someone else's show and talk about what was said before they went live. Right. That that was a big no no because now you know what that says? That let people know they can't trust you. That's like off the record stuff, yeah. Mm hmm. Well, I'm gonna let somebody else talk, and I'm gonna go in here and, and finish working on this book and see if I can get it to the editor. Y'all have a good <laughs> evening, and I will talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Delthea. All right, let's go ahead and bring in Chris. Chris, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hey, Sabrina. Hey. How are, how are you? you? I'm so happy to talk I'm, to you. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for um for calling in. I think you tried to last time, and I think that um for whatever I think the I mic did. wasn't working. I don't know. I pushed the wrong buttons. I don't I don't know what I did. It used to be that the unmute button was over with the hang up button. And I That's hit, right. hit where it used to be. Anyway, I was calling to say, uh, f first off, I'm a huge fan. I love you very much. You're amazing. And I also love Matt Taibbi. I'm so glad that you guys got together today. Um, and I was just really calling real quick uh, to say thank you for uh, reading my question <clears throat> about uh, Twitter files possibly exposing uh, DNC, the way DNC screwed us all over uh, in 2016 and 2020. And I would love for, I mean, I know you probably, did you watch, you probably watched uh, Breeze and 
Matt's conversation on Bree's show. Yes. And so I was trying to kind of reiterate that. And I'm so thankful. (laughs) I'm sure this idea is probably already in his head. Uh, but I'm so thankful that you helped us to reiterate that to him, that there are a whole shit ton of us out here who would love for somebody to be working on that aspect of the Twitter files um, to help expose the DNC's corruption and how they used, I'm sure they used uh, Twitter and probably Facebook and all of the social media companies to algorithmically suppress Bernie and, uh, Bernie supporters, and um, I, I would just really like to see that also. Obviously, what he's working on now is more important, but it'd be amazing if we could get that going as well. And I think it would help, like, establishment Democrats who are, you know, maybe convincible mm-hmm. to listen to his point about the you know, the FBI and the CIA right now, like if they could see, oh, yeah, I kind of remember how that was kind of shady. What happened back in 2016, maybe they might be more likely to listen to what he's doing now with the FBI and the CIA. That's a really good point. I think uh, another case that people need to look back at, um, I need to bring Nico House back on to talk about the DNC fraud lawsuit. Yeah. Because Nico was the one who broke that story. And I think that story is is very telling when you talk about the DNC basically deciding who the candidates, who they want. They already pick ahead of time. Like people need to need to know about that. If you guys aren't familiar with the DNC fraud lawsuit, I think I need to bring uh, Nico back on so he can talk about that. And that was a huge story, by the way. And I think that and of course, it was independent journalists who who broke the story. Yep. I think that I'm sure that they were suppressed from sharing yep. it. Yep. So yep, all I agree. all dissent from that action. I, I I don't. I mean, that's what I need. We need to know. We need this investigation to happen because, I mean, that needs to come forward if that's true. I, I'm damn near certain it is. <laughs> but like, it would be great if. Uh, if that could be brought about by somebody, maybe Brianna Gray, maybe some other uh, more investigative journalist type person, um, I'm sure people would. I'm sure people would complain about her motives if if she were the one, you know, who were the voice behind it. But uh, that's a good need, point. You'd, you'd probably have to pick some. You'd probably have to pick a journalist that's mm-hmm. not involved in in politics one that's not like a political journalist so to speak because then people would say like oh you know they they're going to have a bias because right. they were a bernie supporter or something like that and and so people would be looking at it that way you know my my assumption is that that probably was not a focus because of the dnc fraud lawsuit and because like I guess it's it's probably assumed that we all know like what they were doing to Bernie, so to speak. But I totally hear where you're coming from. Like if there was someone that could do that. I think part of the problem was in the beginning, it sounded like Matt didn't have much help. Like right. based on what because remember remember the very first one? That was the one about the Hunter Biden uh laptop. 
And I remember when I covered that, I think at that point it was just Matt Taibbi. And then later on, uh, Michael Schellenberger was added. Barry Weiss was added. Um, or they, they did a release. Lee Fang did a, a release. But it's very clear, like, he was looking through hundreds of thousands of emails. They definitely need more help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think that whoever the, the person is going to be that brings the message, they're definitely, no matter who they are, are their motives are going to be questioned and their integrity is going to be impugned. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I do think it would be better if it were, I, I mean, I love Bree, so I would love to see Bree do it, but I, I think it would be better if it were somebody who were, you know, more of a straight journalist and, than her. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I don't, I don't think everybody does know. I mean, I think you, we know probably everybody listening to this call knows about what the DNC did to Bernie. And, but I don't think everybody does know even, even Bernie voters of 2020. I don't, I don't think that they necessarily know. And, uh, because pr- the propaganda that we live under is so pervasive and, and, and strong like we it's it's effective you know um they it's it's nuts the propaganda that we live under and without the constant reminders of of how one has been betrayed um it's easy to forget because you've got a new enemy to look after like oh no we can't let you know the fascist trump whoever you know desantis or name your Name your new enemy, but they ain't no different than, you know, Jim Crow Joe or whoever. And Debbie Washerman Schultz <laughs> trying, to, trying to point her finger at Matt Taibbi <laughs> in a congressional. I mean, my goodness, this woman. Who wrote that script for her? Like, nobody proofread that shit, right? Like, who wrote that ridiculous bullshit that she was driveling out her mouth at him? That was stupid shit. I guess people aren't allowed to make money now for their work. I guess people just right. work for free. <laughs> and she, I mean, she wasn't even like, she wasn't even matching. They were just flowery words. She wasn't even matching like verb and, and noun conjugation. She was just, it, was, it sounded like Hakeem Jeffries talking about, you know, his ABC list of whatever, whatever. It was just flowery ridiculousness that they were trying to <laughs> clip into, uh, you know, TikTok videos to make it look like Matt Taibbi, some kind of right winger. Anyway, I just I I I, I want to let somebody else get on Roger or Gator or whoever, but I just wanted to thank you so much for uh, reading my comment. I was thrilled. <laughs> I was thrilled that you put my words to Matt Taibbi's face and uh, and that that he actually was interested in the idea of uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but that he was open to the idea of looking into that. Uh, using the Twitter files to perhaps expose DNC uh, corruption. Yeah, yeah, because I think that when I'm doing interviews, I try not to look at the chat like much because I try to focus on my guests and I can get distracted sometimes. If you I'm do, at and you chat. do great interviews. You do great at it. Oh, thank you. But uh, Eric sent it to me in the private chat and said, "There's a question." <laughs> oh, Eric, I appreciate that. <laughs> So shout out to Eric. <laughs> you got it. It was a good question. We, we like to try to be as interactive as we can make it. You know, I think that's one of the things that, that sets Sabby's show apart from most of them. 
Yeah, it's interesting part. It's special. You know, I appreciate y'all so much. I'll, I'll hop off and let somebody else on. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye. Okay. It is the one and only Roger Meadows. And Roger, I can make you a speaker after after you. Um... I wanted to um, say this uh, real quick. You're going to kill yourself when you see your DM. So that's one. Uh, but I wanted to speak about the lawsuit about um, Norfolk Southern for, for, for a second. Yeah, um, yeah. Here's the thing. We've learned time and time again that the rich and powerful will not come to our rescue. Am, am I glad that a lawsuit is going to take place to make sure that Norfolk Southern pays for it? Of course. However, after lawsuits have run their full course and the powerful lose the case, and they have to pay out, a decade could have passed, seeing that process doesn't happen overnight. I still don't think Chevron, who lost against Stephen, even, I rhymed, started making payments. So This is, this is, um, this is a really good point for people to hear, because I didn't think about that at the time, but you're 100% correct. Uh, when you have these types of lawsuits, it's not like people get like monetary compensation immediately. Sometimes it can take years for them to get that money. So thank you for uh, saying that, Rob. So this, so this, what you might be looking at is a decade long battle where they're going to do exactly what the health insurance company got caught doing here in New York state when it comes to covering people's health care who desperately need it. Drag the civil suit out in court and due to the fact that they don't have the energy and health, they will die, then they can write it off. One of the health, in, I know one of the health insurance companies here in New York State got caught in some email saying that. However, in the meantime, let's not forget Ohio and Michigan right next door to it is a citizen ballot initiative state that allows them to ratify their own amendments into their state constitution. I had suggested this to Rome when he said his son wasn't able to hear out hear out of his right ear or left ear. I forgot what it was. I know. I know. I'm only bringing it up because he actually put it out there and mentioned it on Twitter. Um, yeah. I I said that could be connected. I was just like, you know, Rome, that could be connected to what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio, and suggested the same thing to him. For all you people in Michigan and Ohio. I think you should start running that citizen ballot initiative for single payer and, of course, a public bank, because you don't know when uh, these guys are actually going to come up off that money. I mean, I, we if we should ask Steve and Donzinger, did, did Chevron start paying those people, those tribes yet in South America? That's a you good know? question. I, I mean, there was also, just FYI, there was also another train derailment in Detroit. That was also carrying hazardous chemicals. So just FYI. Yeah. So, you know, like, you can't wait around for these people. If you got the power to do it yourself, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, everybody here is willing to help people in Michigan and Ohio get it done. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I'm going to try to get in contact with, and I'll, I'll email them again, because I don't think... um. I don't think the I don't think he responded, but I'm gonna contact try to contact the mayor again, 
because they need they need more. They they need to push for more than just those items that um, case study shared on that screenshot. Like they should be pu- pu- like pushing for full healthcare coverage, medical bills, and again, like I said, their property values have gone to shit now. So they can't even sell their homes right now if they wanted to. They should be pushing for as much as they can right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the government should really just come in and they should, you know, pay them all above market value, you know, before this all happened, you know, for their properties. And they should, you know, give them just full up health care and just do it. it. It's such a drop in the bucket for even the state government. And then if the government wants to wants to sue Norfolk Southern later for some money, I mean, that, that's fine. But, I mean, it just shows you, I mean, who the government cares about. Yep, that's right. I mean, but again, this goes back to the fact that the president of the United States hasn't even been there. And they said, oh, he's probably not going to go because it'll be too divisive. No, fuck that. Norfolk Southern poisoned these people. Their community is done. It was one thing when people said that they had uh, a runny nose, they had headaches, but now people are saying that they're coughing up blood. I mean, it, it's tricky because the way the way that you really figure these things out is is you bring in you know somebody like the FBA, the the EPA, and you bring in the scientists, and and you you need to look at this stuff like rigor, rigorously as far as you know what's there and, and what's really happening. But I mean, even that's like, but you should, you still need to give these people and make it right, you know, regardless of that. But of course, the, the problem is we don't have a government and EPA that, that works for us. I mean, they, yep. they work for the big money interest. I mean, Norfolk Southern is basically their boss. Plus, they, know, brought, so they, is, brought in their, yeah. they brought in their own people, Eric. Yeah. So this is where I pivot to. I mean, we got to, I think we need to start thinking systemically about these things and you know it always comes back to the money i mean they're doing these things because they're the whole system the whole government's paid off and so until we start doing something about that it it ain't going to get fixed or it's just going to be more and more of this you're right you're right and for i don't even want to hear that norfolk southern doesn't have the money screw that one of your shareholders is blackrock you have the money they have plenty of money they were just trying to be cheap well, the other thing, it could be step one to nationalization, right? <laughs> Start with them. <laughs> Take them over. Yep. For those who, who aren't aware, uh, I did meet two, two other uh, Railroad Worker United members at Worker Strike Back Launch in Boston. I interviewed both of them, and their goal is to nationalize the railroad system because, like, this, you guys see what's happening, right? Yeah. Hmm. So I'm glad there is a lawsuit that that they are pursuing. But at the same time, when I looked at the demands, I'm like, nah, they need to ask for more than that. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Even even like the the, the track is the tracks are uh, private. You know, that's kind of kind of amazing. It'd be like having roads, you know, in our in our highways privatized. You know, so it's like it, it's such a no brainer to just nationalize the tracks for starters it's kind of amazing nationalize the the, the infrastructure and cooperatized ownership of the trains yep 
Yeah, nationalize and, and cooperatize. Yep, that works. That would be great. That would be great. I, I just think that, um, I don't know, man, like if, if for the people like in East Palestine, like they definitely should be demanding more. I don't think, I don't think they even know what they're really owed. I don't think they realize that like, because of this incident, they are owed healthcare for life. Just like Libby Montana, they are owed some type of compensation for their property value, which is nothing now. It feels like those people are so beaten down. No, I do. And it's it's because I feel like, honestly, if this were to happen in a place like it won't because they, they're not going to have trains go through it. But if there was some type of environmental hazard that happened in like Beverly Hills or someplace like that, oh, they would be demanding so much more because, again, look at who lives in Beverly Hills. Like they have the money to have the best attorneys possible so their attorneys are going to tell them, oh, no, you can ask for this, 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 sue for this amount of money and damages and yada, yada, yada. But if you don't have that, and based on what I've read about East Palestine, Ohio, it looks like a working class uh, community. They don't have the money to get the best lawyers possible. You know, so it's just I don't know who the attorneys are that are helping them, but I feel like they haven't given them the best advice. They could ask for so much more and it'll be a lesson to the rest of the country because everyone else will see, well, the people in East Palestine, Ohio had environmental hazard and they were able to get Medicare for all, you know? But I also feel like our, our, what we should be saying is leftists also is that they shouldn't have to sue. You know, that they should just be, be taken care of, you know, in any decent non-brutal society would take care of these people. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they have to have paperwork. You know how that goes. Paperwork makes the, paperwork makes the process longer, too. By the way, means testing. Mm-hmm. Fill out this form, that form, this form. Go to this office to drop off that one. Go to the other office to drop off the other one. And of course, like you heard the guy say, they had to go back to work because they need the money, even though they're sick. There's a good, uh, good in the chat. A good comment in the chat from Dwayne. Did Ukraine have to sue for military aid? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Well said. Mm. All right, well, Roger, I'll make you. I'll make you a speaker, and then I'll hop over to Brady. Okay, invite to speak. Yeah, the other thing we can be talking about is a Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Bro, so like I, I, I read that article, and I was like. CJ's covering this today. I'm staying away from that one. I said, I'm going to let CJ cover this. He's covering it. I try not to do repeats. So uh, I, I think she's done. I mean, I, I, I think, I think Politico just ended her <laughs> and for, with good cause. It wasn't, it wasn't like just some hit job. They, uh, <laughs> they just delayed out facts. It feels like, and she's, she seems like a monster. I don't know. <laughs> Eric, you want to tell people what happened for those who are uh, not aware? Yeah, so so political uh, ran ran an, an article on Marion Williamson and talking about all, all these. Uh, they got like twelve. First, they thought it was twelve anonymous sources, and they're like talking about how mean she is, and she like throws stuff at people and screams at them and belittles belittles 
the people who work for her. And, and at first you're kind of like, okay, well, it's, you know, anonymous sources and a, and a hit job and whatnot. And then they started bringing in name sources and they had like, like people who were, who were representatives and worked on a campaign and, and they're all saying, oh, no, that sounds about right. And, and it just, and there was even, I, I can't even remember it all. It's just all, and, and, oh, and then the real kicker was then they asked her for comment and she basically kind of like confirmed some of the incidents. So like one incident was saying like, like she whacked the side of the inside door of the car so hard that they had to, cause she got all upset and yelling. So she whacked the, the door of the car so hard that they had to take it to the ER. It was like one story. And then another story was like they, she yelled so much in a hotel room that the hotel staff came and knocked on the door to see what was, what was up. And Marion Williamson like confirmed basically both stories <laughs> saying like, yo, it wasn't that bad, but yeah, those things happen. So, so she's done. I mean, honestly, when I first opened up the article, I was like, oh, this is the same thing they did to Bernie Sanders. Just another like smear piece. But then you read the article. Casey Richardson, LOL, did she throw crystals? <laughs> oh, damn. You got, you know what? You guys are a trip. Um, and then when I, by the way, it's, it's, oh, uh, Roger, I think you, thanks. Then when I read it, um, it's a really long article, by the way. There were specific examples that were given, but the one that really stood out to me is that there was an email. And so with emails, like that's a receipt. So even if she were to deny it, they have the email. So I just, I was like, oh man, I said, this does not look good. This is, it does not look good. And it could be, because again, you know, Politico is more likely to be pro-Biden. So it could be that some DNC staffers were like, let's get together and see what dirt we can dig up on Marianne. Some of those things mentioned could be true. Some of them may not be true, but the fact the is- that dig very people, hard. Yeah, 12 people and it's detailed. That's the thing. It's not like, yeah, I showed up to work one day and she was mean to me. You know? Like everybody's like, oh yeah, she's a monster. Everybody knows it. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I'm imagining a fight between her and Amy Klobuchar. You're seeing crystal daggers and combs flying across the room. You know what? You guys are, are <laughs> you guys are hilarious. Oh my God. I don't know, man. I, I just, you knew they were going to come out. There was going to be something that was going to come out. Um, but let's go ahead and bring in Brady. Brady, what's up? You just have to unmute. Well, first of all, big congratulations to the whole RBN network for ending Marianne Williamson's campaign before it started. I appreciate that honestly more than you guys realize. I think, uh, that really put y'all on the map for me personally. Um, and then a uh, big congratulations to Sabi for the Matt Taibbi interview because Matt Taibbi's real big right now. And so you, that interview you had with him made you American uh, journalistic royalty for everyone who didn't already know, you know, so that's pretty cool. So you're there now, you know, and uh, that means a lot of responsibility coming with all that power and stuff. So be ready to be tested and challenged and all that. And uh, in regards to uh, East Palestine, there was a, a chemical spilled called polyethylene, which is like, like a wrapper it's in food packaging and they treat it with fluoride and the fluoridation of the polyethylene is, uh, causing a synergistic toxicity with the, uh, dye, whatever it is, uh, 
having a brain fart right now, but the dioxin, the other chemicals. And so it's causing an even more toxic effect that they are trying to cover up again. And I think it's a really good time to talk about water fluoridation. Uh, Derek Bros, I think, does a really good job on that. And uh, I dropped a link to his stuff deep in the chat, but I can drop it again at the end of my call. And I just wanted to say also, thanks for that video you did about uh, Senator Plackett. Um, that was that was uh, that was mind blowing for me. That was eye opening, and that that leads to my theory that the, the more we pull on these Jeffrey Epstein threads, uh, the more it's going to reveal, and we could potentially use the Jeffrey Epstein what we know about that network to uh, put a stop to World War Three before it happens. I think. Um, I think that the war in Ukraine and Jeffrey Epstein network are intimately connected. As a matter of fact, Peter Thiel is intimately connected with Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump and the uh, central bank uh, collapse on the Silicon Valley bank collapse that recently happened. And uh, he's a really interesting character worth investigating as well. And uh, we had an interesting conversation about his relationship with that today. And that leads me, Peter Thiel runs the Facebook's uh, crime prediction uh, AI. He also, uh, Palantir, his company Palantir uh, models AI for targeting for AI drones in the American military. Used to be Microsoft, but Palantir picked up the contracts. And so what's going on now is that we have uh, Cambridge Analytica, which used all the Facebook data um, to uh, basically make targeted ads for black communities to discourage black people from voting. Uh, it made it specifically targeted black people with ads that would discourage someone from voting, like in a very subliminal way. And then they also targeted a uh, Donald worshiping country with ads that would not only encourage them to vote, but become politically active as well. And that had a lot of funding, of course, from Peter Thiel, and it was heavily swayed to benefit Donald Trump. And Cambridge Analytica had to disband and totally dissolve after that happened. But they re-coalesced uh, under a company called Emmer Data, and it's essentially all of Margaret Thatcher's henchmen um, all together today. And they, they're planning on doing the exact same thing again in the next election. So we need to keep our eyes open for that. And that's all the worst news I got. <laughs> so, no, welcome. You know, the, the thing is, I don't know why the right wing is spending so much, you know, the Peter Thiers and the Republican Party and all these people spending so much money, energy, and time to try to stop black people from voting. If they just step back, they'll see that the Democrat Party is doing the job for them. Hmm. First of all, Brady, like, I did not know that about Peter Thiel being connected to the banking collapse that just happened. I'm going to have to look that up because I've, I've talked about him on my show before in reference to, like, his donations and things like that. Yeah, there's a lot to uncover there, including the Jeffrey Epstein network and the fact that he's heavily invested in young people's blood because of a protein called GDF 11 growth differential 11, it actually uh, causes the heart to shrink back to a normal size, repairs bone, repairs muscle, restores memory. It basically makes people young again. And it's found in the blood of young people in higher amounts. So Peter Thiel is extracting blood from young people and what? selling it to rich people. Yep. Mm -hmm. What the hell is happening here? This mm -hmm. sounds like a Literal movie. Vampires. 
I know I've been telling people that vampires are real for years. They've been laughing at me and I'm like, all right, guys, it depends on your definition of vampire, I guess, but I'm calling a spade a spade. Anne Rice says that vampires are real. I don't know if you all are familiar with uh, the author Anne Rice, but she wrote Interview with the Vampire. And I saw an interview with her one time, like in her house, like she really does believe that vampires are real. And I was like, oh, Anne is really about that life. So did my first girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> she read a lot of Anne Rice, too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I have to look up the Peter Thiel thing. I have to look into that because I did have another update about the banking thing for tomorrow, but I might have to attach that to it. Whitney Webb for some good Peter Thiel. Actually, she did a whole thread on Peter Thiel. And I think, um, no, uh, get this. Eric Weinstein works for Palantir as well, I think. Or uh, wrote under, uh, he wrote for a journal that Peter Thiel uh, owned or something like that. And so Eric Weinstein has Whitney Webb blocked on Twitter. And so I would turn specifically to her as a source. Okay. I do. I follow Whitney. I think what I'm going to do, I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to reach out to someone that brought her on before to see if I can, um, if I can, I can find a way to contact her. <laughs> that would be way too cool. And also I missed my opportunity to meet Cornell West when he came to town recently. So if you can get Dr. Cornell West on your show and just like ask him how he thinks we should build a legitimate third party to the left of libertarians and like any advice he has for that kind of movement or what he thinks we should do. Um, I'd, I'd appreciate that. He's my man. Yeah, he was on. Um, I asked him something similar to that, but I'd love to have him back on because um, you're right. In reference to strategizing, like, that would be a good thing to hear. I would also like to hear, you know, how he feels about, like, Shama's new party, uh, Workers Strike Back, like, if he feels like that's the direction that people should be more focused on. So it's been a while since he's been on, so I should invite him back on. Um, but thanks so much for that, Brady. Yeah, I'll pass the joint so you can get to the rest of the callers. Based. I say that word a lot now, you guys. Like, ever since, like... My former students told me about base, like they were saying it to each other. And I was like, what is this based thing that you guys talk about? And then they explained to me what the word means. And I was like, oh, I love it. And then I just started saying base. And now I can't stop saying base. All right, let's bring in um, Scotty. Scotty, what's up? You're on the mic. Just got to unmute. Hello. Hello. Hey, it's been a while. So, uh, been a uh, uh, <laughs> swamp with work, but I'm back. Um, Scotty, I don't know. Uh, it was good. Hey, I don't know if you covered it uh, tonight, but um, I saw a video on um, Jose Vega's Twitter page of um, some friends of his uh, confronting Jamal Bowman. I'm covering it about tomorrow. His photo. Yeah, yeah, he sent it to me. I'm covering it tomorrow. It's crazy. I know. It's wild. I saw that shit, and I was like, uh-oh. He, he literally, he literally exposed himself. Like, he showed his entire ass in that that whole confrontation. And basically saying, it's only uh, it's only us. Like, we're, uh, we're dealing with the other side of power. And, and he literally said, he literally said that he was, um, what was the word? He, that he was playing the long game. Yep. Like, supporting our apartheid is playing the long game. 
Wow. Like, yep. and, and people know, people wonder why the post duopoly left doesn't fuck with these people because of shit like that. Like, you're literally, you're literally making excuses like, okay, fine. Like, you feel alone in, uh, fighting off these people, whatever. I say just, you can either A, not run for Congress, or if you B, like, <laughs> vote for, vote for what is, you feel is necessary with the people that got you there. And if you, <laughs> And if you're not willing to give us that, then don't ask the poor working class people for your uh, for our votes again. Just don't do it. And then don't get mad when people call you out or, or when you not living up the expectations or what you said in your campaign. And that is yeah, and, um, FYI, just to let you guys know, that's not even all of it, because there's another file that was sent to me that was still recorded that was continuing that conversation and so you'll you'll hear all of that tomorrow night but out of all the confrontations this is the one that's the most exposed oh so there's more than just uh what he said right because he asked he asked them to turn the camera off but he didn't say that they couldn't record so they were still recording Mm. roger roger knows about it too because roger gave me a heads up um and i was just like oh boy i said this is the worst out of all of them that i've seen uh scotty may i uh have your permission to use that term that new term you just said oh well that was uh you can't credit that to me actually nick uh came up with oh, really? post duopoly. Oh, I never heard yeah. of that. The post the post duopoly left. Yeah, Nick yeah. calls it that. Okay. So yeah, I gotta I... give uh, I gotta give the props to Nick on that one. Post duopoly left. And I think okay. that's an appropriate term for people who are not messing with either one of these parties. But yeah, I, I, that's interesting like you got so it would basically be a quote-unquote exclusive for you to uh, put this on, huh, Sabby? Yeah, I got a Dropbox file along with that video that's on Twitter. And it's, it's, yeah. it's bad. Like, it's it's not bad for Jose and them. It's bad for Jamal Bowman. Mm, that's, I'll put it to you. Okay. Uh, so, do you think it's bad enough to where it would hurt him with the base that he's trying to keep? Like the people who still think that voting for the Democratic Party or taking over the Democratic Party is the way to go. I think it may cause some people to check out, but it may just cause some people to check out from Jamal Bowman and not the other members. You know what I mean? This is why they don't do interviews with left independent media, because they don't want to be exposed for what they really are. But Jamal Mm -hmm. Bowman definitely exposed himself in this confrontation and he's been confronted multiple times but this one the way that he reacted this time around the things that he said is the worst of the worst that i've seen oh wow <laughs> yes I, I can't wait for it tomorrow night um i think like i think i think it's great that it's to uh the breaking point 
and no pun intended uh, for these folks. Um, and you know what's crazy? I don't know uh, the woman if the woman's uh, affiliated with the release uh, folks or whatnot, but it's really it's really telling that a lot of these confrontations coming from the Aleutians instead of the quote unquote leftists, and then leftists are getting mad and saying, "Well." These guys are, are really are right wing and they, you know, I don't understand why you're following. But why the fuck are they the only ones actually challenging these people? They're not the only ones. Right? Um, there have been leftists like Lucy was the one who challenged AOC at the town hall and told everybody to register to vote independent. Well, um, so, well I mean, it's, yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, they, they're the ones going viral. They're the ones mostly... Because, like, for a while, it was mainly Jose uh, and uh, a few of his people uh, from, like, the Rouge group. Uh, I mean, I know there's, a, like, a few leftists, but, like, you know, like, the more, like, mainstream leftists, like, they're not going to sit there and tell their audience to do what they're doing right now. Like, they're not going right. to sit there well, and tell them. Go ahead. Well, what Jose did is he came to the Rage Against the War Machine rally and Mm -hmm. people were asking, well, what do we do after this? Right. And one of the things they started doing is doing classes to teach people how to do those those confrontations. Because Mm -hmm. the more people that do it, the more it gets out there. So it doesn't just look like it's just Jose. Right. Or it's just the LaRouche people. So the, the woman that was involved in the video she's not a part of LaRue she's the one that actually sent me the other information that you guys are going to see tomorrow night um but it's 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 damning damning evidence this is I'm telling you guys I tried to tell you before this is why they don't come on to left independent media even the ones who were their biggest supporters like they don't come on because they know that they're going to be held accountable they know they're going to be asked questions that they don't want to answer so they just ignore the people who helped them get elected in the first damn place, because had it not been for left independent media, I would have known about any of these people. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, because I know that uh, uh, Afini told you a while ago that uh, the Democratic Party was silencing people like Cory Bush from speaking to certain people. Now, this whole thing with not speaking to the left independent media, do you think that's a directive from the you know the head honchos of, of the democratic party or is that just something that they decided amongst themselves that they weren't going to jeopardize like their standing or whatever by you know talking to certain people i say no because look at rokana rokana goes on left independent media quite often it's just it's them well, I think with Joe Collin, he's actually a more skilled liar and more deceptive, so he's confident enough to. And I'll give you an example: when Bria uh, like was trying to call him out on the socialism, uh, uh, the vote, uh, vote against socialism. Now, I could be wrong because uh, we were watching the non-Patreon version of it, but he evaded that question. Because she grouped the question. Like, one thing, like, uh, sometimes, like, people, like, interviewers make the mistake of doing is that they'll ask, like, a multiple-part question, and they'll just ramble on and on 
with the part of the question that they want to answer and not really address the other part. So he actually evaded that socialism part. If you, <laughs> wow, because I watched that the other night. I'm like, oh, she let him actually get away with that. Or, was that? Um, or, well, she didn't let him, but he 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 evaded the question. Was that the Patreon interview? Like, was that, or was the full? That's interview? all I'm saying. Okay. That's that's all I'm saying. I don't know if it was the full interview, but it was the uh, it was. Something about like uh, she was talking about Marianne Williamson, but she grouped the uh, the the two questions together, and she said, "You know, I have to call you out uh, on your social your um, anti-socialism vote." And he did not answer the question at all. He didn't even uh, broach the subject. Now. He does that. I think, um, so yeah, I did cover that. I, I think you're right. He didn't answer that question, but Rokana tends to do that, um, not answer the question or talk around the question. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty direct with people. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just my personality, period. But when interviewing, the good thing about it is that it makes it more difficult for them to produce word salad, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. The questions. That's why he goes on because he knows he he's a skilled like liar in that sense. Like he's very like he's very he's got it's kind of like Obama, like where he's he talks in a way where it's like he's making you uh, think, like he's talking to you. But in the same sense, like he's giving a wink and a nod to his like real cr- contributors, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but see, I think Rokan has been trained for this. I really do. Mm-hmm. I said I interviewed him that one time, and after that, I was like, "Yeah, I don't need to interview him again." Yeah, he ain't coming back <laughs> on your show. I, said, hey, I, I wanted to. Go ahead. I wanted to. I wanted to. I'm sorry. I wanted to mention this before I head out of the. Um, because right, I've been meaning to uh, mention this to you, but I've been busy with work. But um, the Tyree Nichols thing, um, I wanted to say like uh, like how they showed his family. Uh, I think they were, were were with Joe Biden or whatever, and like the Democratic Party was consoling it. Listen, I have to say like for to people like. They have to be real careful when it comes to these situations of um, uh, police brutality victims, because I don't know if people realize how much police the the victims' the families get co-opted by the Democratic Party. I mean, the actual families. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you like. I don't know if you uh, like. There's stories like I remember. Um, uh, Samaria Rice talked about this uh, years ago, where she called out um, uh, Benjamin Crump and said that he was not, he, he didn't even brush up on his uh, his knowledge of uh, the state uh, Ohio state law because she represented he yeah he represented uh uh. Tamir, uh, like for Tamir's case, and she was not happy with it. And then how 
the Democratic Party, uh, like, like you hear these stories of how they're giving the family money or scholarships and like asking them to uh, endorse them in ads like they did with, um, if you remember at the 2016 uh, DNC where they had the quote unquote mothers of the movement. First of all, like who called them that? Like activists didn't call them that. That was just a name that they gave them to give them uh, credibility amongst the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, well, like, uh, I remember there's a story where um, Erica Garner, uh, the daughter of uh, Eric Garner, uh, told this story of um, the Clinton campaign. If you remember, um, Erica, uh, Erica's, uh, Eric uh, Garner's mother, endorsed uh hillary clinton and the daughter endorsed uh, bernie sanders and so the clinton campaign actually like tried to like divide the family like they're uh saying things about uh, like trying to pit the family against each other like, like yep. it gets, it, yeah like it gets this weird space where these families kind of become like uh, they kind of become like deified in a sense. Like they, like they get sent out there to um, tamp down on like rebellions. Um, if you remember, uh, it wasn't one. Uh, it was um, it was in Louisiana. He was selling CDs. Uh, yeah, yeah. All, all Sterling, the guy off the Sterling. He is a 15-year-old son that was sitting there crying on TV saying, I want my daddy. And then, the, like, I think it was two days later, he's reading some statement calling for peace. I'm like, this don't sound no 15-year-old boy wrote this. And then with the trip, the part that tripped me out about it was they Obama holds this town hall, right? He holds this town hall, and he has the police chief and the the um the governor of Louisiana sitting next to Alton Sterling's son. Like they tried to use him as a prop to sort of like like tamp down on the uh, you know people re- rebelling uh, uh, in a violent fashion and. You know, I can't say I'm for or against it. I could say, like, when you push somebody to their point, I understand. But yeah, you, like, you have to be, you have to be wary of what happens when these families get a hold of, uh, you know, like, get out there. Cause the moment that happens where the Democratic Party sends their paws on these people and, you get the Al Sharptons and the Benjamin Crumps, which is always, it's always, um, weird. You see, Benjamin Crump was always the one representing these families. Every time. Yeah, every, every time. time. Like, you're the every. only lawyer that could represent, like, these cases. And he's not even, a, he's a civil attorney. He's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Go ahead, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, like, you call them when you try to get the money. <laughs> the um, but no, you're right. I mean, you know, both parties do it, but yeah, the with us, the Democrat Party does it. You know, remember when in 2016 Hillary bought, uh, I forgot Trayvon Martin's mother's name, but he she bought her and some other black women whose uh, children were killed by yeah the mothers of the movement that's what I was talking about yep yeah yeah. that's what they called them during the DNC oh okay I I didn't know there was a name for it they do that they do that to prevent them from rising up and causing more of an uproar right like as if having a dinner at the White House is going to bring back your son and and they're probably not even just dinner they're probably getting money too do you probably, do you remember they when they got? Oh. Well, I do know I, when I interviewed George Floyd's uh, uncle, he told me that some members of the family got money. Yeah, that wouldn't be surprising because it, it's almost like it's like a yeah, a and you know, it's almost like a, a an economy, like. You know the groups like Black Lives Matter raise money off of uh, mostly dead uh, black uh, men, uh, and you know then we hope know the issues that happen with there and all these other like quote unquote like NGOs and uh, like groups that come up from that. Then the police uh, get yep. sent out there to the overtime. Um, then there's a lot of think pieces get uh, written about it, so there's traffic uh, written about that. Um, and then the uh, and then the calls come from the Democratic Party. Uh, um, a lot, you know, Al Sharpton gets sent out, or your influencers like, oh, you like Killer Mike and Ti, Killer Mike and Ti, basically <laughs> went out to yeah. Went out there to tamp down on the rebellion going on in Atlanta. Exactly. Exactly. At at that moment, I lost all both respect, all respect for both of those men. Like, bruh, you wearing a "Kill Your Masters" T-shirt in your videos talking about revolution, and then when shit pop off in your city, you don't want that to go down. But Killer Mike, remember, Killer Mike says that he is a capitalist. Like, he's very much about, like, he's he preaches about, like, black capitalism. You know, like, he started a bank. Yeah. Like, remember all of this? Like, so I remember seeing him on CNN saying, I know you guys are upset right now. And CNN, this is all your fault because you lie 24 hours a day. But you guys got to go home. You can't destroy the businesses. Yeah, he came in to to do a ceasefire, basically, to tell people in Atlanta to go back home. And so that's the thing. I think you're right. Like the Democratic Party gets a hold of those families. They'll give them like money or whatever they need to kind of like, you know, keep them quiet and keep them calm to prevent some sort of uprising. Do you remember, um, Scotty, when they got Rodney King to, to do the famous, can we all just get along? Oh, now here, now, was that something that he thought of, or was that, or did somebody no, tell him to of, say that? I don't think he thought of that. He didn't think of that. I was, that's why I was 
he did making the connection. No, no, no. I, right. I, I, I was a, I was like piggy. I was agreeing with you and and giving you another example of how they did that with, um, what's his name with with Rodney King back in the days. Although I think that might have been like maybe the mayor or something like that or like uh, no but but listen with rodney king for, for i've, people, I've for heard people. him say that that he actually felt that way like that nobody told him to say he and he was talking about how his he was raised by his grandmother and he, they weren't necessarily the type of people that would approve of that so in that instance like i had to take his word for it. i mean He's not here to defend himself on that issue, so yeah, I hear you. I didn't know about that point. When when I heard him make that statement for young people in the chat who who don't know, Rodney King was beaten up by the police back in the nineties. Someone recorded it on video. This was before smartphone, but they recorded it on video and released that video footage to uh, local news. He was on the ground. He was not a threat, and they just beat the crap out of him. And the way that they beat Rodney King, like for his response to be, can't we all just get along? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> because oh, you guys got to understand for people who don't know the story, when that incident happened, then it went to trial. Those police officers were found not guilty. They let them go. And then people in LA started to riot and they said, no, nah, F that. We watched the whole video footage. So people start burning down things, pulling people out of cars and everything. Then because of the riots, they brought them back to trial, which actually isn't supposed to happen. That's called double jeopardy. You're not supposed to be tried for the same uh, crime twice, but they made an exception in this case and they, they brought them back and then they found them guilty and they barely got any time. And you got to guys gotta understand those police officers were racist. See me yeah, down. Christopher Dorner, uh, if you remember the uh, Christopher Dorner uh, uh, situation, if you might remember Christopher Dorner, yeah. you know, uh, he actually said in his manifesto that one of the cops were actually back on the force. And yeah. he actually, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yes, yes. They were from, so here's the thing. They were LAPD officers, but the, the communities that they were policing in, they didn't live in. They lived in Simi Valley, which yeah. is majority white, like a little bit more like upper class, like that kind of thing. So this is another thing that happens when you have police officers policing in communities that they don't live in. They don't know the people, they don't know the community, that kind of thing, but very, very racist area from what I read about it. Cause I, I read a lot about like that trial that, you know, the, the incident with Rodney King. And it was actually that uh, trial that they were able to use to help OJ Simpson get off because where did, um what's the guy's name? Who's, who's the Mark Furman? Yeah. Mark Furman. Mark Furman. Yeah. A lot of the LAPD officers lived in Simi Valley. So all they had to do in court was bring up, oh, you live in Simi Valley. And that was enough to stir up the jury and be like, oh, yeah, that's where the officers live that beat up Rodney King. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, watch that uh, OJ uh, 30 for 30 made in America. That's uh, it's pretty cool. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, you talk about the jurors, I think. Uh, just taking one look at the jurors and uh, 
they weren't gonna win. LAPD wasn't gonna win that game. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, yeah, he did it, but yeah, they were. Can I ask you a question? But yeah, have a good night, Savvy. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, Roger. Maybe you can ask Um, Patty in the chat. Okay, Uh, but I was I was gonna ask also. You know, that thing went viral before there was viralness. (laughs) You know, you know, can we all just get along and? You know, the everybody stuff was like that. Yeah, everybody was saying it. it I, I hit the floor when Al Bundy said it when he, before he got beat up by a gang on Married with Children or whatever. But, um, yeah, that that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, that was just like brutal. <laughs> you know, it's, that's why when people yeah. were showing the pictures, the you know, with today with the smartphones. And people were saying, oh, we got him on camera now, so it's going to make a difference. And I kept saying to myself, well, I, I remember Rodney King, and it didn't make that much. Oh, now no, I was going to remember to ask. Wasn't that um, second trial the, the federal case, though? It may have been. I have to go back and check. Yeah, I think that was the – so I don't think there was a double jeopardy. It's, and it would, I guess it would have been a double jeopardy if it was the city – again prosecuting him? Well, that's what they said at the time. At the time, they said technically we couldn't do that. This would be considered double jeopardy. That's what the news said. But that's a good point. You know, that might be... uh, Let's bring in... um, I'm going to bring in John, and then I will uh, pivot to Noel. What's going on, John? You are on the mic. Greetings. John, is that a cat can you hear in me? your picture bathroom sink? I can hear you now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I know the audio may not be the best, but um, there are a few things uh, I want to say. Uh, first of all, it's about um, – I'm kind of nervous, but first of all, it's about um, the idea of politicians going on uh, progressive media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's there, there's – know some information you can you know gather from them but i just think in my opinion um as a matter of principle i don't think any progressive media outlets should uh interview any politicians even if they are progressive even if um people do like their um their uh, message because all politicians even progressive politicians are um fundamentally dishonest people and if they are on a progressive media outlet, um, they will either lie or spin the truth. And I just think it they're not worth a moment of our time. We should try to get information on um on uh from other sources. Now for now on a separate note, the second thing I want to say, which is not related to that, which is um, you know, I'm a fan of RBN and uh the Sabby Sab shows and I'm also a Marxist Leninist. And I would like to recommend that RBN read Marx and Lenin because Marxist theory can teach people how capitalism works and how to do class struggle. And I think last week I saw a segment of CJ. He was studying Lenin's writings. I was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be educational uh, to the audience, in my opinion, to learn about it. And also it would be good content. And as for what the left should do in terms of electoral politics, 
in my opinion, I think the fundamental task of the left is to break with the Democratic Party and educate, agitate, and organize. That's all I have to say. Good points, John. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, CJ actually, he started uh, that series. Um, the original, I think the very first video he made was called What is Socialism? And he breaks down all the different types of socialism. But yeah, that was a series that that CJ had started a while back. And I think he's getting back to it now. Um, but that is a, a really good recommendation. You're right, because like a lot of people may not really fully understand what Marxism really means. And also push those battle in initiative. Oh, okay. oh shoot. Uh, I just you... remembered. I forgot to do the other two from okay, the um... I'm sorry. Everybody have a great day. Thank you so much, John. Okay. I think John just brought up a really good point about even interviewing these uh, politicians, even the ones that are progressive. I mean, I don't think I've interviewed anyone, at least not national, and since that Rokana one. I think that was the last one I did. <laughs> and that was last year. And I think, other than that, local. I've interviewed local people. Um and that's pretty much it. Go ahead and bring in Noel. Noel, you just have to unmute. Good evening, everybody. Um, listen, I just had a few comments. Um, and I didn't catch the show tonight because I was out. But one of the things I wanted to comment on that I heard um earlier was about the political piece on Marianne. Mm -hmm. And I just it it makes me uncomfortable because I see this sexist aspect to this whole thing. You know, we hear about, you know, Kamala Harris being of uneven temperament. Now it's Marianne is, you know, throwing tantrums or what have you. But we never hear that type of policing of male candidates. And when you think about it, you had the whole issue of Joe Biden's son's um, laptop that was totally hidden away. And to me, that is a more relevant um, piece of information that speaks to who Joe Biden is as a vice president and, a, and as the president than, you know, women, you know, having an emotional situation. And I don't doubt for a minute that some of these men are uneven temperament. And, you know, we have you know, Trump talking about grabbing pussies and, you know, the allegations against Joe Biden. But all those things seem to float above the fray because of what we kind of tolerate from men. But when it becomes women, it's this whole push towards an uneven emotional temperament. And I think it's kind of sexist. But the other thing, and that was just, you know, how it played off to me as I was listening but the other thing I wanted to ask is that have you seen Frontline's piece on the Fed? I have not. Ooh, girl, when I tell you it is eye-opening. The other night I was having trouble sleeping, right? So I turned on PBS and it happened to be on. And when I tell you, they go back and they deal with this banking crisis and the Fed's moves all the way back to the 2007-8 financial crisis. It is so eye-opening that these people are almost clueless. 
I mean, they, they're just talking out the sides of their head. They're doing stuff that just makes no sense. And now that we are this far removed from 2007, 8, and we've had to deal with the pandemic, you know, it was like the Fed um, chairman from Minneapolis was the only person from the Fed who would speak on camera. And they were just asking him these questions about, do you think the Fed waited too long with the quantitative easing and this and that? And I mean, it's almost like his responses are just like schizophrenic. It's, you know, they're saying, oh, we had to do it. We had to do the right thing and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But it just makes no sense. But the the big thing, and I mean, the um, piece goes all the way up to the SV Bank um, failure. So they cover the clear territory. And now, you know, we have a lot of hindsight and they include um, a number of people who were involved in these things. But it's just so eye opening. But the biggest takeaway is we are in a very precarious situation because from all of the quantitative easing that the Fed was doing, and you know, of course, you know, the big banks on Wall Street and corporate America that got access to those, um, to that money for near zero interest, all they were doing was taking all that money and buy, doing stock buybacks, and which inflates the value of their stock and their business, but it's really not creating any underlying value in the business world, which is a type of bubble. But they're saying we are in just a bad, bad place because the only thing they have at their disposal that they're willing to use in terms of the Fed is the increasing of the interest rates. And we see what happened with the SV Bank because of the increase in the interest rates. And now they're talking about going more aggressively because they they have to deflate all of this junk that has been created in the business, in the financial arena through all this quantitative easing. And now the increasing of the interest rates is what they call quantitative tightening. But every time they try to do it, Wall Street drops and then there's all this, you know, screaming about, oh, the Dow is down, and then the Fed goes back to the quantitative easing, and it's just been a vicious cycle. But if you ever get a chance, it is eye-opening. I'll have to look it up because, Ooh, like I girl. said, um, every day there's new information. There's about new information. Every day. Like, I'm just like, that's why, like, when Joe Biden gave that speech and was like, we have to look into what caused this. I'm like, what do you mean? Right. What caused this? It is. And the thing, but you know what? The bit of information that I came across, and I don't know if we discussed it last time, but what just blew my mind about this um, SB bank um, failure and signature bank was the role that Barney Frank played. You know, he was a co-sponsor of the doc. We talk, I'm sorry, I had to laugh because we talked about him tonight, Noel. Because someone, oh. someone sent me the article from Financial Times and they said, I know you're in Massachusetts, so you got to see this. It and is I looked unreal. at it and I said, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding. Who does that? <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God. And it's just like, it's so clear. 
that people on both sides of the aisle are just doing whatever it is to get money. They're working at the behest of these big banks and the elite and nobody knows how to put them back in check. And what what also gets me about this whole banking thing is when they go to Elizabeth Warren, because you know there's a clip of her at the time that they were weakening Dodd-Frank where she was saying, oh, I have a prediction. When you do this, it is going to create more um, variability in the banking market and we're going to have another failure, this and that and blah, blah, blah. So they've been kind of replaying her saying that. But now she's co-sponsored this piece of legislation to put the Dodd-Frank thing back in place. But what is clear is that F. Dodd-Frank, we need to be going back to Glass-Steagall. We need to be going back to Glass-Steagall and splitting commercial and financial and investment banking so that the commercial banking and the deposits are not exposed to the risk from the investment side. And you know that those people know that, but nobody is saying go back to Glass-Steagall or create a national bank that does the banking in terms of deposits and let all the investment banking be done by Wall Street so that any risk that comes out of the foolishness that they're doing on Wall Street is in the investment sector where they are expected to lose. It's just, it's just crazy to me. It's just crazy. And and I'll let people know, like for those who haven't seen the interview yet, I did ask uh, Matt tonight, does he see any similarities between the 08 housing crisis with the banking corruption and what's happening right now with these banks collapsing? And he said, oh, absolutely. And he said more than that, but I, I can't remember everything, but he, he said it's, more than that, but he said, absolutely. So for those who aren't aware, he wrote that book called Griftopia, where he broke down the housing crisis and how the banks were corrupt and how they were taking out these sub mortgage, um, those subprime mortgage loans and stuff like that. So if you haven't read that book, that is what I do recommend. If you haven't read Griftopia, uh-huh. Definitely read that book because it really breaks it down. But the thing is, he said, absolutely. So, guys, when you see like people like Robert Reich, you know, he's good on some labor issues, but then he still be like, does this vote for the centrist Democrats and shit? Right. But, so, and that's the part that, that gets me. Robert Reich and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and people like that who know they know but won't just come out and break with the Democratic Party and say, listen, this system is just effed up from the ground up and we really do need to do something different and we really do need a third party. It's it's like you all say the minimal piece to keep people engaged, but you, if we know the little bit that we know from just the stuff that makes it to the public arena, you know those people who have been working in this area for their entire career. You know they know. Yes. So I'm like, how yes. can you do that? Listen, has anybody seen, oh. let me know if you guys saw it. There was an interview Jimmy Dore did last night with David Sachs about the banking industry. I haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, I believe they, they clipped it today. So there should be a clip out there. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. There were some things that David Sachs was saying that pissed me off. And I was just kind of like, he's like, for these people who are saying, don't bail out the banks. He's like, what is wrong with these people? What's wrong with us, David, is the fact that we are tired of seeing Wall Street bailed out, banks bailed out, 
Corporations bailed out. Everybody bailed out but the American people. That's what's wrong with us. And you guys can move very quickly. Your urgency is ramped up when it has to deal with corporate interests, but when it has to deal with American people, you can drag it out. Just like Jamal Bowman said in that video that Scotty was referring to, he's playing the long game. He's playing the long game for his own personal interests. That's the long game they're all playing. But you know, it occurred to me that this, our economy is, you know, bifurcated. And the upper end operates on a whole different scheme of things than the lower end. And all of the economic policy and financial policy that is put in place is targeted to the upper end. And then it's like this trickle down thing is expected to happen for us. Just like when we had the early stages of the pandemic and Congress came out and said, oh, we got to put all this money into the corporate arena because, you know, you know, organizations are going to close their doors and people ain't going to get paid this and that. And you give billions and billions of dollars to corporate America, but it does not make its way down to everyday working class Americans. And it's just like, what are you thinking? Are you are you serious? But that whole trickle down economics that came from Ronald Reagan and economically, the country really hasn't been the same since. It hasn't been the same. And, you know, the thing about it, though, the trickle down economics is just economically unsound. It, that is just not how it works demand drives the price and the movement of the market. So if you want to drive demand, you should be putting money in the pockets of everyday working people because they spend it. When you put money, just give it to corporate America, their first instinct is to invest it. And that does not move the economy. And they talk about in that Fed Reserve piece on Frontline, they talk about how there is really no real value being generated in this economy because it's just all financial assets. And they're all inflated because the corporations got that cheap money and did stock buybacks. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't they just, the Congress pass legislation about you can't use this money for stock buybacks. Exactly. Or, you know, set up a lending thing that says you have to, Give us an idea of what you're going to use this money for. And if you say stock buybacks, you can't get the quantitative easing loan because it's just girl a mess. But if you get a chance, do get a um, um, check it out and I'm going to let you go to Chris. I'll have to check it out. Um, I- I'm definitely interested in seeing that. OK, Chris, since you just went, I'm going to just I'm going to go to Gary and then I'll come back. All right, Gary, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. I think I might have surprised Gary. Gary might be like, I was not next in line. Are you there, Gary? Just got to hit the unmute button. There you go. Hello. I think you're breaking up a little bit, Gary. Can you hear me? We can hear you a little bit. Uh, your volume's a little low. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, can you... Oh, spectacular. All right, great. Yeah, so 
Um, I'm checking out the. I was checking out the uh, interview with uh, Matt. That's why I, I wanted to catch up and kind of. And um, I, obviously, I've been very sympathetic toward Matt because I feel like a lot of the criticism he's been getting has not only been in bad faith, but is is emblematic of uh, the fact that there's a lot of not just cope but denialism on the part of, the, of Democrats that uh, they've been on the wrong side of history. Um, with regards to censorship, I'm actually kind of watching the or watching the part where you you guys are discussing that, and this this descent of the Democratic Party and the so-called and it's not just the Democratic Party, it's like the the, the so-called left, um, whatever that is, into this desire to to be more and more authoritarian when it comes to controlling uh, people's perspectives and 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 political viewpoints. Um, there's a desire for consensus, but it seems like more and more the the, the so-called left wants to coerce and enforce that consensus as um, as much as possible. And we're very, very happy to see voices kind of fall by the wayside that were, you know, that are off script, so to so to say, which is why it's so sad and, and, uh, and morbidly ironic that the criticism about Matt has been about the lack of the narrative about censorship of the left, because... That criticism is such is such a is so farcical because the left were the ones who were pretty much quarterbacking the censorship. And, right. And I think a big part of the problem is you know I I I thought long and hard about this before this interview because I for one I did not want to ask the same questions that I felt like he's already been asked like multiple times. What was the process? How did you do this? How did you do that? You know what I'm saying? So it's like but luckily like because my interview was after he had the hearing, I had a little bit more I guess different information to work with. But the point that that I was trying to get across is that Based on the topics that we typically talk about on the left, which are topics such as anti-war or policing um, or COVID or anything related to the pandemic, right? Like, or the vaccines, that kind of thing. Um, Russia, Ukraine, like these are topics that do not work well with the algorithm in reference to YouTube. And so what I was explaining to him is that could it be possible that you haven't found much in reference to the left because unless in reference to left censorship, because a lot of the things that we talk about are not supported by the algorithm. So we're automatically not being, you know, our accounts aren't, these government agencies aren't saying to censor our accounts because the algorithm is already working against us. And he he totally like got that and totally understood that and was like, well, yeah, like anything like anti-war like that, that's the thing. Like the things that we are talking about on the left don't work that well with the algorithm today. They may have like four years ago, but more censorship has occurred and algorithm, algorithms have also they've become more strict. I have noticed that over time. And so this is not to say I don't know leftist accounts that have been uh, suspended on Twitter. I do. I know leftist accounts that have been uh, suspended, 
but that doesn't mean government agency said suspend those accounts. It could have just been you violated our Twitter rules or you were mass reported, so we're going to suspend you. That's been the case with pretty much almost everybody that I know that's been suspended from Twitter at some point or another. Um, now, when Elon Musk took control of Twitter, he did bring some of those accounts back. Like they reached out and he he brought them back on there. Um, but I will say that like the point I think that bothered me a little bit is that people were smearing him as right wing because of the information that was reported. But I feel like it took the focus off of the big picture, which was the fact that what people should have been concerned about and focused on is that these government agencies had overreach and they were trying to silence people on this platform and not just this one, also Facebook as well. And that's where everyone's focus should be. It shouldn't so much be on what about censorship of, of the left and da, da, da. And I understand people have those questions and those concerns, but I think the thing is maybe Matt didn't search for those topics because he already knew when it came to those types of uh, topics, the algorithm doesn't work in our favor. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is that I feel like a lot of the, the interest in, in sort of pointing at what isn't, found in the Twitter files is, is just an, an, a diversion attempt away from what is found. And, and then whenever I, I hear someone talk about what about this and what about that, they're literally just pointing away from what is it was in front of your face. They're like, oh, this looks bad for us. This shows that it's not just uh, corporate interests in, 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 in league with the government to censor, uh, to censor, but it was really a, uh, the major, major accomplices were you know young liberals, young you know leftists, um, and that doesn't look good. So let's just start talking about what's not there to change the subject. And you know, there's a lot of people who are amenable to that. You know, let's look over there. Uh, you know, what's he not doing? Uh, and you know, it's it's transparent. And, and like I said, it's almost like you you caught red-handed, so you're going for the for the you know typical kind of weak diversionary tactics. But uh, Matt, Matt deserves better than that. And I think that was really what it was. I felt kind of insulted on his behalf because he's done so much good for, for us. And I don't mean us from a political tribal standpoint, but just as a, as a country, I feel like as a journalist, he's one of the few that's really not kind of working against us from, you know, on behalf of some powerful interest. He's just, he's just been kind of a down the middle, you know, objective, reasonable guy. And to kind of call him a call him quote unquote right wing, you know whatever that is, is just giving credit to the right wing. Like you want to like good do PR for the right wing, then tell tell people that Matt Taibbi's on their team. That's good PR for them. And, and that's that's what I don't think there's a lack of self awareness by kind of putting Matt Taibbi on the right wing next to Ben Shapiro and those and that like it just makes them look better. It's just it's like really so Matt's on their team. They must be they must be all right. You know, and, and, and so and some of the accounts that were uh, smearing him as right wing, these were progressive accounts, you guys like and by accounts, I mean, on Twitter, these were progressive accounts. These are people who are Bernie supporters, like who still support the squad. And next thing I knew, it was like, cancel Matt Taibbi. He's right wing. He lacks journalistic integrity. And I was like, oh, wait, so we canceling Matt Taibbi this week because y'all was trying to cancel Jimmy Dore the week before. You're trying to cancel someone else the week before that. You're trying to cancel another person the week before that. And I'm just like, this is why we don't have any wins on the left because everybody just wants to cancel people. 
over and sometimes it's over little things but i'm i'm just why i watched this in real time i watched all these people just turn on him just like that and i was just like wow you guys are so weak this is exactly what matt meant like in in Bree's interview when he said the left is not a threat you guys see why we're not a threat we don't do anything we, we don't have any wins so they don't see us as a threat maybe back in the day yeah like malcolm x mlk like denouncing capitalism maybe back then those government agencies yeah they did see that as a threat but today they don't look let me tell you how i know they don't see us as a threat bernie sanders garnered an entire freaking movement to the point where he was selling out freaking stadiums and then bernie sanders at the end of both campaigns folded over and said vote for hillary vote for joe biden and some of the people in the movement went along with it and after the 2020 campaign the movement kind of split some people walked away from all of this and some people said i'm still going to support bernie sanders the end result was though nationally we didn't get any wins you know why because we weren't willing to stick together as a group and still fight and push for these things. Even the politicians that a lot of us help get elected, like the squad, they're not even pushing for those things anymore. So that's why they don't see us as a threat. They do see yeah, I mean, the right more as a threat. Why would they why would they see us as a threat if we don't even have demands, you know, real demands? We're not even asking for nothing, you know. The progressives are the ones asking for the censorship. See, that's the thing. It's not like we're asked where we're fighting against the machine. Like we're 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 just part. We're just a tentacle. Like we're the ones asking for lockdowns. We're the ones asking for vaccine passports. Like the the left are the ones like literally assisting the machine. Saying, hey, what can we do for you? Like what 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 can we do to be more repressive? To make government bigger? To to take away to harm civil liberties? See, to I engage think in illegal. I think we have to be clear that there is no organized left movement because when you think of the Bernie Sanders um, campaigns, both in 16 and 20, Bernie Sanders is an agent of the government. And so uh, there was a poet, Audre Lorde, who wrote an essay and said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And so you know, when you think about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, they had specific demands of the system and they were outside the system. But when you start out from entities and envoys and emissaries from within the system, they're going to lead you back into the system. This is why we call Bernie Sanders the, the shepherd, the sheepdog. His role, and that's what... Um, Marianne would be if she is allowed to even be that. You know, they're going to co-opt you and they're going to use whatever means of control they have over you. And they're going to make you lead your people right into that tent, which is the slaughterhouse for progressive ideas. It's, it's just clear. And they never stand firm. They're the first to shake and be like, oh, we better vote for Joe Biden. We still, like wanted to, and we still wanted to fight. Like even after his 2016 campaign, when he announced on television, I played this clip multiple times, when he said, 
you got to support Hillary Clinton. The crowd booed him. We still wanted to fight. That's where that whole Bernie or bus thing came from. Remember, it started back then. Same thing, 2020. A lot of people still wanted to fight. And it's like the leader just walked away. So my thing is, is that I kind of get it. Like, I, I kind of get why Matt was like, or didn't choose to look up Bernie Sanders stuff. I kind of get it because it's kind of like, again, they don't see the government agencies, like they didn't see us as a threat. They knew it wasn't going to go anywhere because they already knew they had inner workings with the DNC. As we've seen with the Twitter files, they had inner workings with politicians. Anytime Adam Schiff is involved with them, so they knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. That's why they didn't. However, when they looked at the right, they saw, wait a minute, that went somewhere. Because if you look back at January 6th, that went somewhere. So they see them more as a threat. And the thing about it is, so at first I got swept up in it. I, um, when you talked about the movement, um, I was in Prospect Park when Bernie came to Brooklyn. And I've never experienced anything like that from a like movement standpoint. I just felt like, wow, this was like a, army, a political army right here. This is insane. I've never seen Prospect Park look like that. And I was inspired by it. Uh, but, you know, the, the problem is, and I, I'm wondering what your experience is, too. When you spoke to older black people about Bernie, what was the response you got? Because typically, I was I was met with, like, mockery. I was just like, mm -hmm. I was like hey, I was like, hey, Bernie Sanders, this and that, this and that. And they're, like, laughing. You're yeah. like, what? <laughs> what are you, Bernie? Well, that was, you got it easy. I got shut down. The old, mm -hmm. the elder people in my family, you know, and because I am who I am, they see me as radical and rebellious and all these type of things. But when I tell you they made it clear in no uncertain terms that they did not want to hear a word I had to say. And I'm like, I just said to myself, wow, the programming is deep. But when you think about it, we're dealing with people who have had decades and decades and decades clear back to the 60s and even in some cases to the 50s of yes. just voting Democrat automatically Democrat. And that's that, if, you know, I did the emergence of that identity politics and allegiance to the Democratic Party that has led us clearly in a circle, you know, and, and the scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. And I feel like sometimes we're like, the lost tribe of Israel or what have you just meandering in the desert until we find our way politically. And it's, yeah. and when you think, when you look at the, the civil rights movement after Martin Luther King death's death, a lot of the principles in that movement found their way into the establishment. And so it, it be, and that's when you have the emergence of this gatekeeper and grifter area where they're just getting in office. And as soon as they get there, like Corey Bush is like, Ooh, I can't talk to you. Ooh, Nina Turner, I can't endorse you. AOC <laughs> running around. It's crazy. Yeah. I will say, um, Gary, uh, it was not what, with the exception of my mom, it was not welcomed. Um, I was told by one person in particular that they already have Medicare. Like that was just really their only response was I was like, yeah, you got to support Bernie Sanders. And they were like, I already have Medicare. I was like, well, damn. So that's just it. Like, 
you know, um, I was also told by other and by older black voters, I'm, re- I'm referring to those that are um, technically a, a part of that, the boomer uh, generation. I was told by them, like, why, why can't young people just work harder like we did? Um, other things I was told is that they didn't believe that Bernie Sanders would beat Donald Trump. And then the other thing, which was, I guess, my favorite line was um, Joe Biden was Obama's VP. And then I would just, you know, spew out like Joe Biden's record and they would hear all of that. And some things were surprises to them and some things were not. And then they would just look at me and be like, I don't care. He's Obama's VP. Yeah, they don't have an appreciation for the obligations of the executive to them. Like they're like they're like criticizing Bernie because he makes promises to the constituency, as though right. that's a bad thing. I'm like, no, no, no. They're supposed to make promises to us. It's like you just want to vote for him because he promises you stuff. Like exactly. Like that's don't you get it now? It's like you're lazy. They just don't understand it. They, right. They and the other thing, the other thing is too is I knew I I had called this early on before Iowa even happened. I said Bernie Sanders is not going to win South Carolina. And people would ask me, like, how do you know? And I said, because I I went to college in South Carolina. I'm very familiar with how the voters are there. And even the Democrat voters, for the most part, are conservative Democrats. And then it's the the, South Carolina has one of the oldest electorates. So the younger people don't come out in mass to vote in South Carolina. It's mainly older voters that repeatedly come out. And then you had the Jim Clyburn factor. And that's why I said... Bernie's not going to win South Carolina, but I didn't think that if he lost South Carolina, that he would lose the race. Like that would cost, cost him the race that I did not see coming. Um, but I, I try to tell people, even like friends of mine who were like big Pete Buttigieg supporters, I was like, Pete Buttigieg is not going to win in the South. And they were like, Oh yes, he will. Come on. Like he's, he's, um, younger he was in the military he's lgbtq and i was like and there you go i said i hate to say it but it's the bible belt and i said he's not gonna win in the south and i was correct he did poorly very poorly in the south i also told people kamala harris wasn't gonna do well in the south and people didn't believe me and they were like she's a black woman and i said okay you'll see (laughs) but this is the piece that a lot of people miss In the Democratic primaries, those Southern states are very important because the Democratic Party in many circumstances is equally or majority Black. Mm -hmm. So in the primaries, when you start with South Carolina and sweep through Georgia, Louisiana and all that, they eat up the Black vote in the Democratic primary because the Democrat vote means something. But when you come back in the general, those are red states. And so you can build up, you know, the momentum to get the um, nomination coming through the primary coming through the South because that's when the black vote and voice has meaning. But when you sweep back through as the nominee in the general, those states flip back to red because even though you have large Democratic voter bases in them, the overall states are red. Yep. Yep. Yeah. This is very true. Yeah. Sometimes all you need is a single um, identity identity marker 
um, for a particular candidate, and that's all that, that you need to kind of eliminate them from consideration. Uh, I want to make one last point regarding um, the left as not just being failures, but controlled opposition. Um, OSHA is an organization that, as we know, is fundamentally pro-worker. Right? It's one of the major institutions that workers have in terms of leverage against corporations and employers on um, on our behalf, right? We can use OSHA to make sure that workers are providing proper accommodations for us and not putting us in unsafe conditions. During the last couple of years, it was in fact the left that was advocating for OSHA to be transformed and deformed into an institution wielded by the employer against the employees. And that tells you everything you need to know about what has sort of happened to the left in the sense that not only are they not are they not getting any Ws, but it seems like they've changed teams. They're not and that I mean that's as fundamentally anti worker as you could possibly get to try to transform Ocean to an organization that is wielded by employers to fire employees. I mean that's Wow, that I didn't realize that. That's as fundamental as it gets. You remember when oh. when Biden decided to change OSHA's purpose into like, oh, use OSHA as a means to fire employees arbitrarily? You know, yeah. I mean, a, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I think you were gonna put some meat on that bone. Well, I, I was just gonna say generally that like Biden's not left, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think when we need to be having the separation between like what between Democrats and and left. You know, I, I think this is a mistake we we can get into in in terms of of allowing like the whole term and the whole concept of left to be to be smeared with, by what Democrats are doing. And so, you know, Biden's not left. You know, the Democrats aren't left. There there are no progressive Democrats. So I, I feel like we need to figure out how to start calling like our little corner of the left here kind of the real left, you know, maybe even the 11 demands left, you know, we can start thinking about some things about what to really do. But uh, yeah, I, I would just urge not to, not to smear the real left with, the, uh, with what Democrats do. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah, good point. The real left Go is ahead. outside the establishment the real left and the energy of the left is outside of elected offices and the establishment. That's how you know when you have the real left. And the real left will critique Democrats and Republicans equally. And to Gary, remember, it was Bill Clinton and the Clinton era that ushered in the breaking of the Democratic Party from organized labor. Mm -hmm. And it was Bill Clinton who turned around the welfare reform and, and it was Joe Biden and Bill Clinton who did the crime bill and this and that. So when you really think about the destruction of the poor and working class who supports the Democrats, it has been the Democrats. You know, I tell people there is nothing that Donald Trump could have done in four years to equal to the entire career of Joe Biden and the damage that Bill Clinton did and Obama. It's just so it's all twisted up and upside down. And and that's why it's so heartbreaking 
that you can't get Democrats to see that these people are have been working against your best interests for a long time now. And we just ride on this identity and respectability. And, you know, I've been voting Democrat all my life. And these people are literally taking us to the cleaners. Yes, yes. No, it's true. Um, Bill Clinton was the one that changed the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, and that's why, um, what do you call it? So, oh, yeah. So piggyback on, on what you were saying um, earlier, uh, Noel, about the banks. Yeah, we need to um, start nationalizing these banks. We need a network of public banks at every level, municipal, state, regional, because every state has different regions to it, state level, um, and what do you call that? And um, U.S. regional and a national infrastructure bank. And we need to reinstate postal banking. When you have all of that, you wouldn't even need Glass-Steagall because Glass-Steagall is more of a reform to a capitalist system. This would be actually transforming the system to making the, the shrinking the big banks down to size. Um, also, uh, um, uh, Eric, uh, when we, when, yeah, when you was talking about um, uh, the money and, and the loving a man, loving uh, demands and so on and so forth. What I was thinking maybe is, um, so if you, one of the biggest things that you hear about um, barriers to running for office is when it comes to grassroots is that the person, the candidate who's running on a grassroots finance platform is they have to work their job. They got to divide time between their job and running for office, right? Maybe drawing up something where, um, you know, like a, a ballot initiative amendment or something like that to make it where you can use your, um, your you know, uh, grassroots financing coupled with... Um, matching funds, you know, when they multiply your grassroots, allowing you to actually use it also to not just pay your staff, your campaign staff and pay for all the paraphernalia and all the campaign stuff or whatever the case is, but also use it to be able to pay your bills. So this way you can, you don't have to divide time where you can take a, um, take time off from your job or maybe, I don't know, leave your job or whatever the case is, because you're making enough to actually, you know, to where you can use, where you're allowed to use the grassroots financing with the multiple matching funds to, you know, pay for your regular bills or whatever. So you can devote more time to a campaigning. Now, I'm not talking about using it to, you know, hey, I got a new car. I got a Jeep or, you know, some <laughs> some Ferrari or something like that. I'm just talking about, you know, pay for your, I don't know, child care and you know, cell phone bill, rent, mortgage, whatever the case is. You know what I mean? So, 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 Roger, like, like everything you, you talk about, um, I'm a hundred, a hundred percent behind. You know, I'm, um, and a lot of that stuff is even in, you know, my proposed eleven demands. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is our current government is is totally bought and corrupt. You know, they they're not gonna give us any of those things. You know, they don't care about us. They they care about their donor owners because that's who's paying right. them. And so, 
What I'm saying is that what we're not going to get anywhere seriously unless we really attack that head on and and go after the money. And I think the only way we're going to have to utilize our our numbers. We need to figure out a way to inspire large numbers of people in a, in a mass movement. And around this core concept, I'm suggesting of money and corruption, and money, really hit this head it, on, and it prioritize like, it. You know. But it sounds like you're talking more of a national strategy, a top-down strategy. No, it's, no. Because I'm talking about at all levels, because the problem is the same at all levels. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if you don't fix the money, it's it's. I, I just don't see it. You know right, what I mean? So, so what I was saying is you get those grassroots finance candidates into office and they'll be the ones to actually start, you know, pushing for um, getting the money. I don't, out think, and so I, I don't think we're going to win anything until we get, you know, really people like literally in the streets and and really revved up and, and together, you know. I, um, I don't see. Um, I hear you. I, I don't see me. Honestly, I don't see that happening. Because that sounds more like a national, a yeah, yeah, a, a national movement, and those things usually happen when you build up from from the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like when it when it happens at a national level, they're usually organic, like the like the uh, um, the protests, the George Floyd protests. I'm saying we need to make it happen. I mean, this is this is our little left. I mean, I, I think we're, you know, it's on us. You know, sitting around waiting for other people to do this. It, it's not going to happen. And I, I, I guess what I'm hoping, what I'd like to see is like, to see like all like the lefty hosts in our little corner of the left start talking about this and start saying corruption's the problem. You know, the money's the problem. And, and these Democrats are corrupt monsters. And, and let's get real about doing something about it. And then like, here are these steps to address the money. You know, well, it's about is- potential potentially constitutional amendment. It's about campaign finance laws, public financing. It's about these key action items. See, because the way... It, it can give sorry. people a path. Yeah. The only way I see that happening, though, is if we get, you know, from the bottom up, where we start getting grassroots candidates into office so that they can uh, push for that, you know? And I see that happening on the state and local level first. Because I, I don't, I don't see the strategy to actually start it at the national level. You know what I mean? Because you know, like I, I don't see with how to well, bridge. Why are you getting caught up on national versus state? I mean, the, these are these are real basic concepts. The problem is the corruption. The problem is the money. They're paid. They're corrupt monsters. Democratic mm-hmm. Party, Republican Party, they're not your friends. And you know, I, I just feel like we have to not get to. St- distracted by you know identity and you know in identity politics and and other things so much that like like it never even comes up yeah i i I, I just don't i i I don't see the the strategy to get to all the paths are tough you know it's there's, there's no easy path here and it's easy to knock down any potential strategy i think we gotta pick like the best one or kind of the least worst one and start pushing yeah, I, I think I think what Roger's trying to say is when you when you look at a lot of the the organizing, they all started locally first. 
And so yeah. I think I think that's what Roger's trying to say is like even when you look at the George Floyd protests, like everyone's like, oh, one day everybody was out in the streets. No, like there were local actions first. There were local grassroots action first. Same thing with the civil rights movement. Same thing even if you want to look at legislative changes. A lot of these things happen locally first. Like we talk about Obamacare that happened in Massachusetts first. It was Romneycare. So I, I think that's the point. What what Roger's trying to say is like. You have to build it, even if you go back and look at, unless it's a national campaign, like that's why Bernie was able to do that because it was a national campaign and Bernie went to almost every single state. So I think, but I think at the same time, what Eric is saying is the same way that the left media space started something like Justice Democrats. I think that's what Eric is saying is like, is the same way we could start something like 11 Demands. Mm-hmm. I, I hear you. Okay, but Chris, you're on the mic. Just got to unmute and then, uh, sure, I think you're next. Hey. Hello. Hey again. Hey, Fabi. Um, uh, Noel, hello. And Roger, uh, I appreciate your work. I, hey there. I'm a middle Hey, Noel. I'm a middle school teacher in Alabama, and um, I, when I see what you do, I, I feel like you got a, you have a heart of a teacher. And um, I would like to associate myself earlier with Noel's comments about uh, Dodd Frank and Glass Steagall. Um, totally agree. Uh, the reason I popped back in was because, look, I live in Alabama, and like I live in a beautiful railroad town. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you. We were talking about the railroad uh, derailments earlier. Um, I live in a beautiful railroad town called Opelika, and um, I work in a beautiful college town with like Sister City, right up the railroad, uh, called Auburn. Um, I'm a middle school teacher there, and my grandparents, my my whole mom and dad's family are from a beautiful small town railroad town called Sylacauga, Alabama. And this shit could happen to anybody. This could happen to any of us. Like, we had a railroad derailment in Alabama on the 9th of March. The 9th of March, when they were uh, co- uh, testifying before Congress. The railroad company, same railroad company, Norfolk Southern, testifying before Congress. I mean, any of us, any of us, every single one of us could could befall, luckily, in Calhoun County, where it happened, not close to where I live, but Calhoun County, Alabama. Um that it wasn't uh toxic, you know, danger or anything, but that could happen anywhere in Alabama, anywhere in the country. We could be suffering the same environmental catastrophe that is befalling Ohio right now. As Noel said, you put a stick in the river, you put a stick in the creek, you put a stick in the water, and it's pretty water, pretty clear because it's running up from upstream, and then that motherfucker turns oily 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 just from stirring up the dirt that means that shit has been in the ground all over the damn place a hundred million gallons of toxic a hundred million gallons in this little poor town in ohio that's far smaller than my towns in alabama we could uh, anybody anybody could could suffer this horrible economic catastrophe that will last for generations for these people. And we got to get control 
of this. We got to regulate this shit. I mean, this is nuts that we are a regulatory capture is just out. It's, it's ridiculous. We've got to get control of our, uh, our regulations of our government because they've been, they've bought everybody. They bought Pete Buttigieg. They bought both parties. They bought everybody. And we got to get, so I don't know how <laughs> let's try Eric. Thank you again. Thank you again, Eric, for getting my comment in front of Matt Taibbi. I appreciate it. Uh, Eric was talking about strategy. I don't know what the strategy is, but it is terrifying uh, to consider the position that we're in. Um, and anyway, I just wanted to pop back in and talk about the railroad shit because it happened in Alabama, too, on yep. March the 9th. And so that you know, Chris, I am originally from a small town in Alabama called Montgomery. Oh my gosh, I'm right down the street. <laughs> I'm taking and... my students, I'm taking my students to Montgomery on March the uh, the twenty eighth to sing in a competition in Montgomery. You know what? I want to get back home to see the museum. Oh, it's the... it's wonderful. You that you got to come. It's I haven't been back, but also so that you know, my oldest sibling, who is my brother, worked for the railroad out of Mobile for years, and that's where he retired from. Wow. The last time I was in Alabama was spring break when I was in college, <laughs> and I was there by accident because the driver, the guy who came with us girls who we met the night before, this is a long story. I'll tell you guys about that another time. Oh, another time though. sounds scandalous meeting the guy a night before and going on a spring break trip with him. Listen, this was there. Let me tell you something. I did not think this guy was going to show up. It was just okay. like me and like me, me and, and, and like my girlfriends, we uh-huh. were at a party the night before. See, here's the first problem. We were at a party the night before. We met him. He seemed really cool. And he said he didn't have any plans for spring break. And we said, oh, we're going to Panama City Beach in Florida. And we're like, yeah, you place should come. To go. Yeah, we should come. But we didn't think he was actually going to show up. And he was like, yeah, I'll probably take you up on that. <laughs> and he showed up. Like, he showed up at my friend's apartment. We're like, the fuck? And he's okay. like, I'm here. So anyway, he came with us girls. And then on the way back, we all drove down there. On the way back. He drove in the wrong direction, and oh, we ended up in Alabama. And I was like, why does the sign say Alabama? North Carolina is that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't too far off course. It wasn't too far. It's true. But that's that's that was funny, the, though. That was the and, only Hey, at least time. it turned out okay, your spring break trip. Yeah, the spring break trip was awesome. It was, like, a lot of fun. It was yeah. just, it was really weird that this guy, like, he ended up becoming really close friends with us, too. But it was, it was random as fuck. Like, we met this yeah. guy at a party the night before. He was just like, I'm coming with you guys. See, nowadays you can't do that because people get serial killer vibes. Right. Know? But you live so. in North Carolina then, you said? Yep, yep. That's cool. And he was just like, okay, I'm coming with you guys. And it just is what it is. Like I said, you can't do that these days. People crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they are. We got pretty beaches down here on the Gulf. It's nice. Man, spring break stories are are are, are something else. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, okay. Maybe Roger. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we Hello? can hear you. Oh, okay. All right. Chris, we we have to we have to go beyond regulation though. We even have to go beyond antitrust. And we have to start talking about uh nationalization, stationalization, municipalization, and cooperatizing these companies. I'm all for 
all of that. I agree you with you. And I want I, I completely want to agree. Ask, I want to ask you a question. Um oh, I lost my other bank card. Um, oh here it is. Um, what's going on with Warrior Cole? I know that the, the they came up here to 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 protest in at Wall Street. I, I forgot who they were protesting, which bank it was, but what do you, do you know what's uh I don't know. Saying? I got I mean, I haven't looked into their recent uh activity except for when the last thing that I saw, I mean, you know, Warrior Coal, the um iron is it iron workers? No, yeah, uh, coal coal workers out of Birmingham, uh Bessemer. I don't I don't know what they're doing right now. I haven't heard anything new. I mean the only people that I've seen report on it have been um the people who I know in media similar to Savvy and um yeah I don't I don't know. You're much more on the ground than I certainly am. I haven't yeah. heard anything recently. I'm sorry. I was looking at the chat and someone said, uh, girls gone wild, RB in That's why I started laughing before, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining Sabrina at spring break. But... <laughs> you don't want to see those pictures. <laughs> oh, now I want to see them. Oh, no, no. Many, many, many years ago. Listen, Panama City's beach was, was awesome for spring break, though. Like, but let me tell you, that was back when I used to do shots. I haven't done shots in a long time. I bet yeah. if you came down here again, you would do a couple shots. No, this is how I end up signing up for weird things, like the wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> so, no, I can't do any of this. Stuff. No, 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 no. I couldn't run for listen. Because I was in that contest, and, you know, it was this was videotaped. Oh, no, no. Because I was in that contest, when I came back to school, I was like, maybe I'll run for, like, SGA. And then I was like, nah, damn, I can't because of that videotape. So no. There's no telling what else is out there, Savvy. <laughs> Please run for office now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They'll be like, this is Sabrina Salvati back in her college days. She's like a regular episode of Girls Gone Wild. And I'll be like, man, that was a long time ago. And they'll be like, is this who you want as your president? They always, they always I can see the this. ad now. I can see it now. Like, would you want this want... woman to lead the country? She can't keep her shirt on. Shit like that. They always warned us about the quiet ones. <laughs> you could totally flip it. You could tell totally that I'm a girl. I'm a down home Southern girl from North Carolina. And I had a great time on my road trip to Alabama and Florida beaches. And it was wonderful. That shit was fun. The sand was white. It is fun. It's a pretty place. Yeah, the sand is white. And like, if you guys don't know, like, if you haven't been to a Florida beach, like the other beaches and maybe... Alabama beaches, Alabama beaches, they're oh. not as many as Florida, but we got some beaches. Orange Beach. Um. Oh. Yeah, beautiful places. Gulf Shores, Gulf Shores, Alabama. The sand was white. I went Paris. It's the same as Florida. It's just not as much, you know, land. <laughs> it was fun. We saw Chippendales and everything. Yeah, fun I'm telling you, that was a fun week. It's good times. Good, good times. But no, uh, Roger, I haven't seen anything recently about the Bessemer okay. folks, but but I that's I'm glad you brought it up though because something people were talking about earlier. I think maybe it was who was the guy after Sammy. We were talking uh, when Eric was talking about strategy and like nobody knows the strategy right now. And 
I feel like we've been, I feel like we've been made to not know the strategy. Like the pro that's what I'm saying earlier. The propaganda is super thick. Like the trop the propaganda is off the chain, very effective. And, you know, ev all the propaganda is about keeping us divided on identity politics right now, you know, um, but working class people got to get together. Like working class people, like I think in 2016, um, the Democratic Party was stopping Bernie because Bernie was speaking a populist working class message, and they were able to stop him because they're not an actual, um, you know, they're they're a corporation that's not actually doesn't, you know, the super delegates, blah blah blah. You can't actually hijack the Democratic Party, which Trump was able to do literally the next time. I mean, or that, you know, Trump was able to, to hijack the Republican Party in a way that you couldn't hijack the Democratic Party with the same, basically, the same working class type of tenor. You know, like I've got Republican family members who would have voted for Bernie in the general election. You know, they weren't worried about they weren't worried about, um, you know. I don't think they would support Pete Buttigieg. They wouldn't support any of these corporate Dems. They would have supported Bernie because mm -hmm. Bernie said he was going to give them Medicare for all, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're Republicans, like strong Republicans. Yeah, I, I, oh. I met a couple of conservatives that said they agreed with that part. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah and oh, let, me ask you, so. let me ask you this, Chris. If you asked anybody around you, do they think Congress is corrupt? And just and just oh yeah, hundred percent. Everybody, yeah, everybody. If I ask the same question here in Massachusetts, I get pretty much the same rate of return. Right. Well, shouldn't we be organizing around that a concept that that's that is that popular? Yeah. You know what we you know what we could do. You know all these confrontations that like Jose and his friends have been doing. Mm -hmm. Why don't we catalog those mofos? Like all all those video clips, they're all on Twitter. That sounds like a good Matt Orfala or Turncoat Don project. Exactly. Like honestly, if someone can build some type of, I don't know, a video compilation of all of those confrontations, and then like to Eric's point about the eleven demands, and to um to Joe Firestone's point about dumping the incumbents. That's your launch video. That's your video to push 11 demands and to dump the incumbents. Because that's politicians on record, on video, showing you who they really are. I cannot wait to see what you're putting out tomorrow. I'm so excited. Oh, y'all going to flip. You, can, you guys are seriously going to flip when you see this shit. I'm going to flip. Like, Damn, I already he's arrogant over. as hell. I, I, while I was waiting, I was like, ooh, something already on, on YouTube about it. Where is it? I, I got away for you. Yeah, he was, he was, Jamal Bowman was feeling himself in this confrontation. And so my thing is, is like, ex let's expose them for who they really are. Everybody's not on Twitter. This is the thing. Everyone is not on Twitter. So they are certainly those... not. That's, and everybody's not on, um, everybody's not on Facebook. Everybody's not on YouTube. Everybody, I mean, everybody's not on any, there are so many different, like the, the, the ratio of people that you need to throw an election. Like the tiny message that you could get out to people on one platform to say, hey, like that's what I'm saying with Matt Taibbi, like to to actually expose 
with with good evidence what the Democrats did in 2016, 2015, 2016 would would be it could be really, really strong for helping to build a working class movement. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of people who are holding on to the Democratic Party and a bunch of people who are holding on to the Republican Party that have abandoned them decades ago. And it's clear that they've been abandoned decades ago and they're just giving us platitudes and saying, you know, working class people well, here, you, we're going to we're going to make sure that you can have trans people now or working class people. We're going to make sure that you can make sure abortion is legal or abortion is not legal or we're going to, you know, working class people come vote for us over these issues, none of which have to do with our money. So what one way that I was thinking, well, me, me and you can't do this because because New York and, and, and Alabama are not uh, ballot initiative states. But Look, national and I, party, and I can't strike as a teacher in Alabama either. Oh yeah, you're you're one of those right to work. Oh, work. by the way, um, did you hear that they repealed right to work in Michigan? Oh, good for them. And that's a Republican. We need state. two videos. We need one with the confrontations, and we need one video exposing their donors. We need to come after, we need to expose like the popular politicians and expose their donors. Because even though I show you guys that information on Open Secrets, most people have no idea what Open Secrets even is. They sure don't, Savvy. And what you were saying earlier about, I mean, I really don't think most people know what what the Democratic Party is. Like a bunch of people who, if we could somehow find and the Republican Party, like people who are just voting because they have to. In a, I mean, if we just had the people who didn't vote at all, but that's going to be tough. That's ridiculous. The people, there's a shit ton of people who are attached to one of these two parties because it's the only thing that is. And like they just have no idea. They have no idea about the Democratic Party fucking over everybody that wanted to have health care. They don't have any idea about the Republican Party. Um, you know, wars and blah, blah, blah. I mean, just they're both the same motherfuckers. And here's the thing. Like you say, you have millions of people attached to both of these parties, neither of which is delivering on the substance, but both of which understand that they can play those cultural issues. And because those things speak to the context in which poor people live, they glum into it. So if you say on the Republican side, oh, we're going to ban books and we're going to be anti-drag queen story hour and this and that, even though you're not delivering on the things to change people's lives, that is accessible. So they're saying, well, I'm going to stick with the Republicans because at least, you know, my kids won't be learning about critical race theory and this and that. And right. on the other side, the Democrats are saying, oh, we got to stick together because we got to get women the right to um, have an abortion again and this and that, even though they're not promising to deliver the economic things, but it's accessible. So poor women in the Democratic side are saying, yeah, we had the right to have an abortion since 1973 or blah, blah, blah. Or and even the like, actual things that they're promising. Not even the You know? But the actual and, things they're promising. And they, they deliver nothing. They the goddamn thing on abortion. 
That's why. Thank, That's why. Noel, on point, on point. Thank you, Noel. Everything I was saying, you just like wrapped it right up. Thank you. But that's why I keep saying we need a video exposing their donors exactly. so that their their constituents can understand why they vote the way that they do when it comes to legislation and why they're not doing anything for them. I think that's really how you're going to wake people up. Like some people like don't even know who their representatives are, you know, who their donors are. Like some people have no idea. They just know that they're a Democrat and they're supposed to vote for the Democrats or they're a Republican. And they're supposed to vote for the Republicans. And meanwhile, their life doesn't improve. Exactly. We could also give them. We could also give them um, no choice, meaning in those seventeen states that allow voters to amend their state constitution using um, the citizen ballot initiative, you can put a uh, ratify an amendment that makes the existence of parties in your state unconstitutional. Ooh. Now that that forces the voters to educate themselves because we all know, just like Sabrina, you were saying. Uh, hey, Joe Biden did this. We, like we was talking about um, older people from our um, um, group or whatever the case is. And you said, and they was just like, yeah, that's nice. We're still going to vote for Joe Biden, whatever the case is, right? You get rid of the parties. You force people to to become educated to to um, you know find out what this particular candidate is about. You see what I'm saying? Because now they can't hide behind an alphabet letter next to their name. Because we know people vote based on three things. The alphabet letter next to the name, um, emotion, either they love this guy or they hate the other guy, so they're just voting against the other guy, and familiarity. You know, that this is how people like, you know, Clint Eastwood gets voted um, mayor and yep. Sonny Bono gets voted whatever and Ben Jones from Dukes of Hazard gets voted whatever and, and uh, Jesse Hazard. you know what I mean, and, and Donald Trump and all these, Ronald Reagan. All these guys, oh yeah, familiarity. You see what I'm saying? You're but right. when you when you break that, okay, when you break when you sever that connection, you'll probably be saying, okay, someone like um, okay, let me give you a little example. So someone came the party came down on Elizabeth Warren because she said something bad about Kamala Harris or whatever the case is, and then she called her like a couple of times, apologized and all that different type of stuff. How honest do you think? Uh, Warren would have been if, let's say, they abolished political parties in Massachusetts, and it's like I have no connection with no party. You can't tell me what to do, you know. Like yeah, she would have said, "What's up?" She would have said, yeah. "What's up?" Yeah, what you gonna exactly. do? <laughs> I, I, that's that's a that, that would be an amazing uh, place to find ourselves in if we could yeah. make that. <laughs> I would like to try to get seventeen a minimum. You know, I know as minimum of the goal, my goal is see if I could get a minimum of 17 more states to be citizen ballot initiative states to for um, to, to um, amendments, to put amendments on their um, ballot or whatever the case is. So this way, what I'm thinking is if we had um, 34 to 38, I'll say 34 to 40 states, right, that where the voters were allowed to um uh, add amendments to their state constitution using the ballot initiative process, you can uh, use that process to force, compel your state legislature to hold the constitutional con uh, convention, uh, Article 5 constitutional convention 
to introduce an amendment to the U.S. Constitution to, um, you know, overturn Citizens United and Buckley versus Vallejo and First National Bank versus Bilotti and so on and so forth to say that money is not protected by the First Amendment. You see what I'm saying? So if we had, because it takes for to do an Article 5 uh, constitutional convention, you need like 34 states on board or maybe 38. I think it's 34 at first. And if the Congress don't listen, you got to get four more states to push for that. You know, and, and then. Well said. Well said. I want to well, make sure I bring it You're basically describing my demand number one. So just FYI. <laughs> Yeah, I want to make sure I bring in Ashura because Ashura's been waiting for a while. Poor thing. Sorry, hey, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hop off. Thank you so much for letting me speak again. I love you all. See y'all Thank later. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Ashura, you are the next caller. Just gotta unmute. I, I hope you're still with us, Ashura. Ashura might be like, "Look, hello." hello. Uh, how's it going? How are you? I'm I'm doing good. I saw your um I didn't I didn't think I saw the full interview with Taibi. Maybe I was like ten minutes late. I saw it and I was like, why couldn't Taibi go to you first before he went to Bree? Because <laughs> that that was a much better interview than the one I saw with Bree. It was like she was being a Democrat with this guy, and this guy's trying to explain to her, but every time he's like. No, but what about this? What about that? I'm like, that's not what they... He, he didn't have a choice of what they gave him. He basically went through what he had. And he said that there were conditions. Yeah, well, I try to keep in mind that that wasn't the full interview. Like, what we saw on YouTube wasn't the full interview. So that is something I do try to keep in mind because that's a, a, a Patreon um, interview. So... I'm not I'm not a bad faith patron, but if you are a bad faith patron, you have the opportunity to listen to, to the entire interview. So I, I do just want to point that out because that is just something to keep in mind that we didn't see the entire interview. Yeah, I, I was like, I thought Bree said she was over the Democrats. So why are you still upset? And uh, the one thing I love the most, you remember that woman at the uh, the black woman that was saying, uh, "Who who are your source? Where did you get the emails?" Well, some shit like that. It was like, uh, I can't tell you who, who my source are because you're asking me, <laughs> you're asking me who my source. Are. I didn't ask you, and they made a meme about it. Like, did you see Matt Orfler's video? But that the meme, one, the one with um. Um, With a black lady who basically is not even a. Plastic. Yeah, she's got a talking role. She's yeah, she's no, that's funny. Islands. That was funny. Um, yeah, because she kept saying, "Who gave you access to?" I said that to him at the end of the interview to be funny. Um, yeah, I saw that. One. <laughs> <laughs> who gave you access to those emails? Like, it's like it, it's fucking funny. She's repeating the same question, but in a different sentence. Who the fuck you think you're bluffing here? You're basically asking me the same thing again. <laughs> and Jim Jordan had to come in there and save well he didn't need to save him because he could have basically handled her there's a point where you, you can see Matebi's uh, asking her questions he's like who who are you you so called journalist and back to me Taibi started bodying her and she was like looking on her phone it could be a different woman but one of them was looking on her phone didn't <laughs> want to look at Taibi anything but Taibi basically handled it himself well 
at the hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he had a lot of patience. I wouldn't have, I, I don't think he I would have had. Cause I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that type of lawyer. I don't like this type of lawyer action where they ask you a question and then you start to answer the question and they cut you off. Oh, that, that was, that was fucked up. There's a point where they ask him a question. He's responding. And then they pull some bullshit. Oh, I, 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 I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my time. I'm talking right now. I'm like, you ask him a question. Let me finish the question. I know. I, I, I really don't like it. You know what? This is why I can't watch, um, Someone covered, it might have been CJ, who covered an interview with Hannity and Lauren uh, Boebert. I think it was CJ that covered that. Yeah, it was CJ. Even the one when Lauren Boebert went ham on Hannity and basically after that, everybody on Twitter trashed Hannity. Yes, and I was like, I couldn't even sit through a Hannity interview because he constantly does that. He asks his his guests like a question and then he interrupts them and he doesn't let them fully respond. I don't like that style of interviewing. Yeah, yeah it, it was funny though because like you got a bunch of... Wait, by the way, that, that woman that was on your show a couple of weeks ago, she's part of TYT now? Olemi, whatever her name is? Olemi? Yeah. Ole. She wasn't She wasn't on my show a few weeks ago. Uh, was she, okay. I thought it was her that came on your show. That was, that was not, a month, not a few months weeks ago. ago a couple months ago. Okay, months ago, yeah. Okay, because uh, I heard people say that she's part of TYT now. Mm. She's a part of um, Left Mafia. Uh, that's a dumb name. It's 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 a, a panel show with uh, Humanist Report and. I know, I know what that is. I, yeah. I know, I, I've seen it. It's just the, the name is dumb. Hold up! Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know about TYT, but. That could be true. I don't know, but I know she's a part of that. Are you sure they're not talking about Imani Oakley? Imani Oakley's a part of TYT. No, it was uh, Olemi because uh, she's the one that was um, basically bodying Jank, where Jank was basically <laughs> behind the screen, and she she was like, "Yeah, Jank, I can. I, I know you're shaking your head, Jank." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't know if he, she could really see him, or she had the time to look on her phone, basically to know if Jank's there. But I, I guess it was like by instinct, you know, Jackie would be like, "Yeah, shake your head." Like he would shake his head, like he would basically tuck her, pucker his lips, and then shake his head like uh, in disappointment. <laughs> it was like, "I know you're shaking your head, Jake." I'm like, that shit was okay. Lysol said Olay was on Nina's show. That might have been what people were referring to. Okay. Yeah, because. Yeah, yeah, I was like, mm, no, she should have never gone on TYT. Like, not not gone and, like, be part of it, I mean. No, I, I think TYT, I don't know. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a brand killer. The moment you leave TYT and then you go, like, the same way Jimmy went, they'll fucking trash you. Yeah. They was trashing Jimmy when he was there. <laughs> well, not as hard. Not as hard, was- but... You saw it. Yeah, but it's a good thing J- Jimmy never backed down when he was there. He basically fought, fought back until they themselves had to basically uh, uh, sit down. There's a book where they, they were so pro-war, Jimmy had to shut them down. It was like, they, then they tried to convince Jimmy of being pro-war. Jimmy was like, nah, nah, we don't, we don't, we're not, I'm not doing that. 
Yeah, I think you know, TYT. TYT used to be, you know, it used to be a lot better back in the day, but now it's just. Sabrina, when you had said, when when you had was jokingly asking Matt about um, his sources, <laughs> I I automatically thought about Nelly. It's getting hot in here, where he said, "I got a pole in the basement." She said, "What? I'm just kidding." Unless you're gonna do it, so I was expecting you to say, "No, nah, I was just kidding, Matt." You know, unless you're gonna do it. What did I say? You didn't. You didn't say anything. You just laughed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that to be the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, you don't have to tell me. I mean, unless you want to. <laughs> I also saw something on CJ. Like they were talking about AOC. Probably just doing a rebranding on herself. I heard about that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I guess the the squad fraud squad thing is finally kicking in for some people. <laughs> They're finally seeing for who she is, a congresswoman that hasn't done anything whatsoever. Yeah, she her approval rating is I think it's the same as Nancy Pelosi's, if I remember correctly, or either. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's basically the same thing. thing. Yeah, two years. If Nancy took like fucking fifty or twenty years, whatever the fuck. Hmm. I don't know. I just think like, I I just really, you know, what I wanted people to really get out of this is that with the Twitter files, like, again, there, there's a reason why things were done the way that they were. And then also is just that I just don't want people to lose sight of the big picture, man. These government agencies are the enemy here. It's really not the democratic party. It's really not the Republican party. When we're talking about the Twitter files, it's those agencies that are the problem. Well, what's mm-hmm. fucked up about the Twitter files is that if you look at uh, who's running, who's basically giving the, who's basically processing the information, it's basically liberals. They're mostly liberals on Twitter. I, I heard like there's like a ban of basically hiring Republicans, and you got a bunch of CIA people on Twitter, CIA, FBI, whatever, on Twitter, basically passing them fake information or telling them this is who we want censored. We don't want this information out. We're going to block we're going to block these people to kick them out. It's a it's like fucked up. It's most liberals and basically the liberals get mad when the information comes out and they're saying where's the republican side? But you're the ones doing it. Like that that was during Trump. During the Trump years, you guys were the ones doing the censorship. It wasn't republicans. I mean republicans may have wanted to, but I mean, come on. Makes no fucking sense. Yeah, it's all partisan nonsense. We mm-hmm. need to get rid of these parties. Then, then, then we'll see, you know, a little bit more honesty, you know, because if there were no parties, then they wouldn't really like care that much. It's, I'm, they're see, protecting their party. I think we have to be clear that these parties are operating on the same frequency, which is capitalism. And, and as I've said before, I think if there is really a threat, to capitalism, you will see them uncloak and coalesce in ways that are really, really apparent. You know, they are operating to, and they even talk about it when they talk about the bank failures and this and that. They're about preserving capitalism because the rank and file average American doesn't realize how parasitic capitalism is. That's why both parties are so... Um, 
virulent when it comes to bashing socialism or anything else because they're in it. They understand what capitalism does. That's why they both sides, they fund the wars because they know the wars are the scouts for resources. And that is what leads the way for the capitalist consumption and exploitation. That's why our military budget is so huge. And that's why we're pushing for world dominance so that we can go and cherry pick and exploit all the resources everywhere they find them. And that's what their both parties are really united to do. Uh, as you said, Roger, you said that they should basically eliminate both political parties. I mean, what's it no, going to no, no, take? No. It, 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 all political parties. That's what I said. All, well, you said both political said, parties. I'm talking about. Well, it's basically all. Okay, I, I said I said both. Basically, it's the Republicans and the Democrats are the ones that are more primarily. They're the ones who are are in power. Nobody right. really gives a damn about the other ones. Understood. Okay, so I was saying. Uh, what would it take for them, the people, to to finally uh, wake the fuck up? Like, is it is, is it going to wait for the petrodollar to crash, and basically bricks come in? Mm-hmm. What you, what's it going to take to what get rid of the parties? Or you're just saying you know, wake people to wake you're the just fuck saying up. in general? Yeah, people to wake the fuck up and say let's go third party because the two party system are the ones who basically killed this this economy. Forget to be, yeah, again, but, but Jimmy Jimmy likes to say uh, we're already a third part. We're already a third world country. Just yeah. seeing by how the country's being run by two parties that don't want to help you. So I guess the petrol dollar is the only thing that comes in crashes is because everything is related to the dollar. Mm-hmm. So yeah. well, the other thing, well, the other thing I will say, too, is that the biggest hurdle is mainstream media because they're the ones that keep people in these two parties. They're the ones that back one party over the other, like these networks are partisan, even though they try to claim they're not, they're, they're partisan. And so yeah. that's, that's the big, big hurdle is mainstream media. How do you change the narrative or how do you spread that, that narrative that both parties are corrupt to masses and masses amount of people, like millions of people, like for example, over 5 million people watch Tucker Carlson's show. Mm-hmm. I don't know you think propaganda is going to last. Well, well, yeah, there's yes, there, there's the right one. I'm talking. I was focusing more on the liberal one when you we were talking, because how long do you think people will uh, still listen to them if prices go up? That's a good point. I mean, and you can't no, buy anything right. nowadays if you have to compare them from um, from the past prices to the new ones. You're like, man, what the fuck's going on? Don't tell me it's, a, it's the Ukraine war that I've been, I've been supporting all this time that's killing me right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a that's a really good point. But you're right about the prices going up. Maybe that will be something to shake people. But also, too, just remember, like Meta just announced they're laying off another 10,000 people. So more and more layoffs. So now what's happening is with the layoffs happening in the tech industry, now you have people who are more so a part of the. The the that upper middle class, like the professional yeah. managerial class, now they're affected. Well, it's not them. There's also the Disney theme parks. Yeah, and I guess that's taking a hit on their on the MCU movies nowadays. Like maybe yep. past employees or people who basically are sick of Disney are saying, "Oh, so you 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 want us to go watch your movies, but you're fucking laying laying off seven thousand people, and then you're you're getting all this money on the side by the government." 
you just yeah tourism me. will take a hit uh during like economic situations like this because the last thing that people are trying to do is last well, thing was, people were trying to do is spend extra money you but know? it was a tur- it was a tourism that was killing uh that that's killing Disney's because they're putting too much fucking money on these movies. They're putting two hundred fifty million dollars instead of making it a low budget. They're pumping so much money that they're losing. Like Disney Plus is crashing right now. That's because Disney Plus only has okay. I, I have Disney Plus, but the only reason I even got it was to watch The Mandalorian. That's what people then, say, Sabby. Like, they don't give a fuck about the other shit. All the old school no. shit, they don't care. The only thing no. that Disney Plus has is Star Wars and the MCU. If they don't have that shit, it crashes down. It burns. Right. That, that, the only reason I have... Okay, what do we watch on Disney Plus? We watch The Mandalorian, and we watch the other Marvel shows. So, like, um, Falcon, Winter Soldier, okay. and um, what's the one with the, the witch... Uh, Scarlet Witch, WandaVision, WandaVision, yeah, WandaVision, like, and Loki. That's it. That's the only thing we watch on Disney Plus. That's it. I like Bad Batch. Well, yeah, the the the, the animated stories are good because they they don't have to basically uh pan well not really pander up trying to say. They 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 don't have to basically ruin a a canon story to be to make it new to make some new shit. Uh, like it's not working so good for Disney. Like they they said they they lost about a billion dollars. <laughs> they're about to lose more. Wait, wait till they basically hot, lay off more people, and then their movies are not gonna they're not gonna do any more. They're gonna basically shuffle everything back. I don't think Blade's gonna happen. By the way, Mashar Ali's getting too old right now. Right. Well, the thing is, too, is that, um, yeah, I know, you know, some of my friends really do appreciate the fact that Disney Plus does have, like, all the Disney movies there and all the Marvel movies. But to be honest with you, a lot of us, we already had the we already had the Disney movies and Marvel movies that we wanted. Like, that's the thing. It's like. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, Disney Plus isn't expensive, which is really good. Like, it's it's really cheap. But still, like, in the beginning, I signed on for the free trial just to binge watch The Mandalorian first season, and then I got rid of it. And then when The Mandalorian second season came out, then they stopped doing that. They didn't put all the episodes out at once. I was like, damn. So then I tried to sign up for the free trial again with a different email address. And then they were like, it was one episode at a time. They were doing one episode a week, and then the free trials yeah. only seven days. And I was like, "Those pums." So then I, I went ahead and signed on. Yeah, that's what they do. They know people. They know people want to watch Grogu. Which, by the way, I, I fucking think that when it comes to season two, it should have ended. Like, let Grogu go with Skywalker and just do your thing in season three. I, I think I think they kind of killed that thing in season in the, in this new season. Go ahead, go ahead, Eric. You were going to say something? No, I just said they got you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, you know, they get you. <laughs> and okay, so Obi Wan, Obi Wan is good. Oh no, that, that's it, another it, good. It, one. It was not good. What? It was trash. I'm Which sorry. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It was trash. I'm telling you, it was trash. What are you doing that, to me? That, that, that scene of with Leia under under Obi Wan's coat somehow nobody notices. He's got a giant bump, a baby bump, and nobody's gonna just stop him. They're gonna okay. just walk out, walk out oh. the base. 
Okay, so because that one scene, the whole thing is trash? No, no, there's a bunch of scenes that went trash. What? I, I love think, Obi. I don't I don't think it did pretty good. I think a lot of people didn't like yeah. it. I mean, I, I, I Are personally you serious? I personally liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it, but I do know that it didn't get uh, you know, like Yeah. Like, that, that's why that's why the Star Wars fans do not like Disney owning Star Wars. Well, it's too late for that. Well, they don't like. Well, they've they've always complained. They don't like Kathleen Kennedy, and uh, finally, uh, when it comes to uh, what is it, Marianne? You think Ooh, yeah. she's doing that same shit that the that that Global Show was doing to their staff, like basically uh, throwing a what is it, a stapler at them? You think it's I a don't hit know? Move? I don't know, man. Like I said, I read the article, and like I said. You know, let's remember they did this to Bernie Sanders, too. They tried to say that he was nasty to his staff as well. But, well, like Bernie I said, was, there's... Was, there's Bernie wasn't nasty to his staff. Look at Zephyr But listen, but listen, like, there, there was one incident that was mentioned in the article which referenced an actual email. And if there's an email, that counts as a receipt. And so that one, to me, just... That didn't look good. Yeah. Wait a minute. So, do you not like Rogue One? Rogue One? Yeah, I think it was good. Uh, it would it would have been trash if they didn't put that Vader scene. That's that's the one thing people say. That Vader scene would have basically made the movie undone. What? What is happening here? I mean, you, should, you should you should have a call in for like pop culture if you want to talk about it. I'll be fine with it. <sighs> um. There was something that um, I got reminded of. There was a um, so like when you were talking about the military before, right? Do you know I saw an article where they, the military, I guess is, is so desperate now they're going to trying to recruit at HBCUs. I heard. Um, yeah, I and, heard. Uh, I mean, don't they do that everywhere? Yeah, but why do they desperate? They do. They do it. They recruit in video games. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. Like when I buy a video game, I'm just playing the game. I don't give a fuck about joining the military. They recruited. They they recruited at um, predominantly white colleges too. Roger, you'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. But I think the way people would reject the idea of basically going to the military uh, if people actually say they they, they're anti-war. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you that recruitment doesn't work like it used to anymore. A lot of people are rejecting it. The motherfuckers getting desperate, going to yeah. private colleges now. Hey, you remember that yeah. thing um, John McCain said with Lindsey Graham when they went to Ukraine? I think it was 2014 when they said that they want uh, the Ukrainian they want the Re- Ukrainians to fight the last man against Russia. Imagine if they go to these HBCUs and Lindsey Graham says. We want every black person to fight the last black person. Oh, <laughs> you, you would have white supremacists march to the streets and say, please, black people, please, all of you go fight in Ukraine. So we'll make America white again. Listen, I'm telling you, this is why they don't want to cancel student loan debt, because that hurts military recruitment. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know that was a connection with it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because ever since they ended the draft, they had to figure out a way to keep the military recruitment going up. So, you know, like they ended the draft right when they started making, um, right when the, they started not 
when, when they stopped making free college, you know, free public colleges and universities, right? Really. So, so, mm-hmm. so, so everything so, that's wrong in America is because of the military industrial complex. Is medical for so, also part of it? So, like, so, 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 probably. So, also another thing is this is another reason why they keep um, places impoverished. Because now you're in a situation where, okay, I'm in the hood. There's crime all around me. I either join in on the game, uh, become a drug addict and go to rehab, uh, end up in prison, end up in the cemetery. I could join the military. You know, they, you, you do know that they get uh, bonuses um, for when for every person that they sign up. Okay, so... They want to go, the, the recruiters, they want to go to impoverished neighborhoods because that's more money for them. You see what I'm saying? They get a bonus for people that they recruit. They hate going to places where it's, you know, like, oh, you know, it's a nice upper class, you know. <laughs> they see that as punishment because they yeah. know that that's, that's going to affect their money. You see what I'm saying? So that's, that's um, I mean, and you know, I knew that before a military recruiter actually told me that. He felt he could be. He felt he could be honest with me because I was too old to be recruited anyway. But <laughs> I, I, I picked him up at the Marines barracks over here in, in Garden City in, in Long Island, and you know he was telling me it's like yeah, you know, like th- that's what they do. You know, they they this guy was um, from California, and he was telling me yeah, do they put us in the impoverished neighborhoods, and you know the, the recruitment goes up. Now if somebody from one of those like hoity toity you know, nice neighborhoods joins the military is usually because, hey, I want to I want to um, work for my country. I want to serve my country. But most people in the military are there because, you know, like I was trying to get out of a bad situation. Yes. Um, or, you know, or some other thing. Matter of fact, I don't or, know if you watched it. Oh, 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 or they're, oh, they, or they have they have a bachelor's degree and they can enter as an officer. Did you know? Did you did you watch um, that documentary of the of the original Fifty Cent that I sent you yet? No, I haven't, Roger, because uh, you sent me a lot of video clips to watch. Yeah, no, I, I, no, no, no. I wasn't I wasn't beating you up over it, right? But uh, I was just saying when you get a chance, watch it, okay? Um, but uh, the original Fifty Cent, okay. He, he, you know, he, he, he used to like rob everybody in Brooklyn. Okay. So he robbed so many people, you know, they ultimately ended up killing him because, you know, it's just like you rob one person too many. Everybody know who you are. You, you were rap, robbing all the rappers. You were robbing all the hustlers. You was rap, robbing, you was robbing the pimps. You was robbing every freaking body. Right. So as an escape. The original 50 cent. Yeah. uh, The original 50 cent that, that got his, um. That uh, that that Curtis Jackson Fifty Cent got his name from. What? You seen him? Wait, there's an original Fifty Cent. Yeah, yeah. The, he it, uh, there was a guy from. Hey, how are you doing today? There was a guy from um, Brooklyn, from Fort Greene Projects in Brooklyn, who was known for robbing people, and you know he I forgot his name, Kelvin something something other whatever the, his name was, but. You know, he used to, you know, he used to rob everybody back in the day. He was only a teenager. Matter of fact, if you want to know what he looks like, go get the 
Paid in Full album by Eric B. and Rakim. Okay? Flip it over and look at the guy kneeling down because Eric B. and Rakim are taking pictures with a whole bunch of people. One of them is uh, Cool G Rap and, um, and, you know, some other people. And the guy kneeling down on the ground is the original 50 Cent. He used to, he used to, uh, he used to walk with two shotties, like them long guns, like them dirty Harry guns, you know, that, and he's just, he was just notorious for robbing people. 50 Cent stole someone else's name? No, 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 no. He got permission from his daughter. Oh, because, okay. Because what happened was, I think he even adopted her as his goddaughter, but no, he wasn't, no. Curtis Jackson was not going to go up there and steal someone's name. He'll have people looking for him because <laughs> people were asking him, who is this guy, this rapper calling himself 50 Cent? He's not 50 Cent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so people were going to like see him, but his, you know, his daughter, the original 50 Cent daughter was just like, nah, nah, we, we like his music. Um, and he asked me if he could use my dad's name. And um, we said, okay, <laughs> you know? And um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out, Roger. But um, that's that's why he his very first song, Curtis Jackson's very first song, was called "How to Rob." That was an homage. Remember that first song that he came out with when he was robbing everybody in the industry? I thought the first song was "Wangster." No, 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 no. I'm talking about before that album. He had a single out when he was with Columbia Records, and they dropped him after he got shot like nine times by um you know someone you know uh, uh the guy who's serving time now but oh um, that's right you're right okay you're right. right i forgot about that part yeah so he so that song when he came out when he was robbing everybody in the in the industry you know and everyone in the industry got mad at him he's talking about robbing mariah carey he's talking about robbing uh busting everybody whatever that was an homage to the original 50 cent they used to rob everybody but the, but what i was pretty much saying was the guy robbed so many people that he like tried to escape he escaped and joined the army <laughs> that's that's pretty much the uh the point <laughs> that i was making and um and and what happened was right uh uh yeah they that, that's what they do um sure they that oh if you talk to a person i had a customer who i dropped off in like uh Port Washington, it's like a hoity-toity town. And she said, well, I thought people joined the military to serve their country. I said, maybe where you're from. <laughs> Try going to, going to Roosevelt, Hempstead, Elmont, and all these other places. That's, a, that's an escape for them yes. to get out of a bad situation. That's right. What's going on, you? Well, let's see. I'm going to try to wrap up here within the next 20 minutes. So Ashura, if you're uh, finished, I'm going to go to Anthony. I want to get in Anthony Lysol Marco. Uh, okay, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say one last thing. Um, I know you like to go to the movies. You haven't been to the movies lately? You haven't seen the new Rocky, the new Creed movie and the Cocaine Bear? Okay, so the Creed movie's on my list, and so is the new Ant-Man. I haven't seen the new Ant-Man yet. So. Uh, okay. I know, I heard it's not that great, but you know, I'm, I'm a Marvel I'm a Marvel freak. I have to watch all of them. <laughs> they call that a Disney show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't gotten to you yet. No, I mean, I, 
you know, it's 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 going to be really hard to compete with Avengers. Like, I I just got to keep it real, especially Avengers Endgame. It's going to be really hard to compete with that. Let's go ahead and bring in um, Anthony. You're on the mic. And Brady, since you already went, I'm going to go to Lysol and Marco, and then I'm going to wrap up. What's up, Anthony? Uh, not much. Good evening. Wow. I like that uh, Taibi interview. That was pretty cool. He's in the big in the news right now. And yeah, I mean, I haven't always supported everything he's done back throughout the years, like going back 10, 20 years, actually 15 years, but in terms of other issues, but Hey, that's, I like where he's at now. That's pretty cool. But the part where he said, you know, or where you kind of asked, were you surprised about the decorum and how mean the Democrats were and all that? And I mean, or just, and then he said, well, they were just kind of unprepared and all that, or that's, I, I, I was really not surprised at all. I, you know, I watch C-SPAN almost every day and I watch all the committee hearings and especially the House, not the Senate. And they are really unprepared. They don't know what's going on in Congress. They're some of the least impressive people in our country. I got to be honest. Isn't that um crazy to you, Anthony, though, that like our representatives aren't doing their research and they don't know what's going on because like just some of the things that they said that they were like a sub stack. I think this is supposed to be some sort of website and they called him like a so-called journalist. I'm like, did you guys do any preparation for this hearing or do you just show up? <laughs> oh, they're terrible. They're terrible. Matter of fact, C-SPAN, I called into their uh, show this morning and they were talking about the banks and, um, they said their question was, can you trust the banks? And I just said, no, absolutely not. Um, and because of different reasons, you know, the Federal Reserve and the uh, different assets that we've stolen, like Afghanistan and Russia's and, um, you know, the Canada truckers. So that's fun. I like calling into them and throwing their things into a mix, but none so fun as when the politicians get thrown into a mix. Like, you know, the question earlier was, do we have any power and no, not really, but nothing has really shown us more power in the last couple months than, well, we have labor organizing, we got independent media, but these uh, heckling situations, these have shown a little bit, little bit of power. You had me at, you call into C-SPAN, Anthony. I, I think you're probably the first person I've heard say that. <laughs> I didn't think anyone watched C-SPAN except for like, if there's a, a particular hearing that's going to be pretty interesting, like I did watch C-SPAN obviously for the Twitter, the Twitter files hearing. But other than that, I never listen to C-SPAN because I'm just like, this is so boring usually with C-SPAN topics. But, um, but that's just funny. I didn't, I didn't know people call into C-SPAN. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they got a morning show every day, and it's really bad. I mean, they bring on the Brookings Institution and the Atlantic Council, all the worst. They're like MSNBC and Fox News, but, like, they have this uh, sense of impartiality. Everyone thinks they're straight down the middle. It's like, no, they are really bad, really corporate over there, and they get a lot of facts wrong. And every day this week on their morning show, they did a segment on uh, China, and like how, what kind of a threat is China militarily, economically, all this stuff. I'm like, God, you guys are disgusting. And yeah, you're right. It's only 65 and up that really call into that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I should call in sometime. I should call in the C-SPAN sometime. 
Definitely should. And and uh, one last thing is, well, happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Yeah, top of the morning, whatever. Have a beer on me. Morning to you, laddie. <laughs> yeah, from Boston, one of the top uh, Irish cities here. That's great. <laughs> Well, I uh, ran into our state attorney general at the St. Patrick's Day parade last weekend. Uh, she's the one who failed to put away Rick Snyder for poisoning Flint. And um, I was wearing a button, uh, Julian Assange, and it had clovers on it. Uh, clover, you know, I went to that event a couple of years back. So I was just wearing at the St. Patrick's Day clovers for Assange. And I showed it to her. I said, hey, what do you think? And she said, oh, I don't know about Assange. I said, well, yeah, you don't know much, do you? And um uh, and then I gave her a piece of my mind about COVID. You know, she was locking up people for keeping their restaurants and barbershops open in COVID. So it was a good time last weekend. Always doing politics everywhere I go. Awesome. Thanks so much for calling in, Anthony. Going to move on to Lysol. Lysol, you're on the mic. What's up? Just got to hit unmute. Hey, Sabby. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Doing pretty good. Um, really liked the episode today. I caught as much as I could. It was like during my bus home time. Thank you. Thanks so much. And like, I, I hear what you're saying about wanting to hear more about like other, you know, other tech companies too. The one that I'm really curious about, do you remember back, it was in April, 2016, uh, it was like suddenly it was before a primary before a debate a bunch of Bernie Sanders uh, Facebook uh, groups got taken down because people were posting uh, bestiality and child porn on them. Yeah, I heard about that. And like, we were at this place with tech companies where Facebook was like, it's a glitch. And everybody's like, well, they're the only ones who could possibly know. And so I'd like to see them get to the bottom of that. I'm really hoping there'll be like a Facebook leak soon. Yeah. And, and I want to see like, you know, YouTube has a new owner now. I don't know if everyone's aware of that. Um, Really? Who bought them? Uh, well, no one bought them. Uh, Susan stepped down. So it was someone who was already internal that took over that that spot. But um, I, I'm really curious to see the YouTube files. I'm not kidding. Because they're just so... If YouTube's algorithm is really exposed or like what they're doing to certain accounts, like I think that would speak volumes because listen, a lot of people like YouTube, even people like, it's not just for people who like independent media, like some people like to watch vlogs and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that if people saw like the inner workings of YouTube's algorithm, I think it would make people pause. I really do. There was an article that came out about like YouTube kids. And I remember it was like, it was a bunch of stuff and they had a ton of, they had a ton of like video on the page and I'm like, okay, but I'm at work. I can't watch that right now. So I'll watch it when I get home. And by the time I got home, they'd all been pulled down. But it was like the rabbit hole that like the YouTube kids algorithm takes them on where it's like starts being this like incredibly creepy stuff like pretty quickly. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. I think that, um, well, Matt said another release is supposed to drop tomorrow actually today sorry it's friday now yeah i'm supposed to drop today so we'll see what this one is about but i think that um more and more information is going to come out and i think it's great now that he does have more people on his team like to help i think that's going to be beneficial yeah so it kind of sounds like so i I did i did aaron's call in and i was like excited to ask him about his participation in the twitter files and he's like i'm gonna do it but like right now i'm just like super busy with other stuff 
So it's the the stuff with him isn't going to be anytime soon. But I'm I'm curious. He was like, it's like something specific with him and RussiaGate, and like the thing I associate um, Aaron with is all the Assad stuff, right? That was the stuff he got the most flack for. It makes sense because uh, I I know I interviewed him. Oh damn, he I have oh. You know what? I think it's been over a year since I um brought him on. Um, okay, so I need to invite him back on. I need to add him to that list, the list of people I need to bring back on. Um, but I interviewed him a year ago, and he did talk about Russiagate in the interview. So he was one of the people that debunked it. So it it, it doesn't surprise me that they want him to look at, if they would want him to look into that. Um, because he was, I have to go back to that interview and, and see what he said. But I, I remember him, one of the things he did say was that there were people like Rachel Maddow that was heavily like pushing the Russiagate narrative. And it turned out to be false. And that was another thing that was frustrating too, watching the, the Twitter files hearing is that they were actually bringing up Russiagate again. And I was like, Russiagate was already debunked. Yeah, nobody reads the corrections. Like as soon as as soon as the headlines out there, it gets consumed, and nobody pays attention to when it gets debunked. Like sometimes two weeks later, sometimes two years later. But just kind of like, yeah, I mean, between Matt, Glenn, and Aaron, like if the first fifty Twitter files were them settling beefs with fucking Russia Gators, I got no problem with that. Fucking have at it. Like they, you know, they took the slings and arrows when mm-hmm. everybody else is just kind of like, um, you know, especially like the the thing I remember from one of one of Matt's. Um, I think it might have been back on Useful Idiots. He was expressing frustration with just like losing sources because there's just like a whole new group of people that just don't feel comfortable talking to a journalist now because they think that, you know, even though Matt's good at like, you know, protecting his sources and stuff, it's just kind of like with the, the error, you know, you know, with the, the, the sense of censorship and canceling going on, it's just kind of yeah. like, wow, it's like another way they're just kind of like killing journalism. Yeah, you know, and I think it's it's really important that people understand too, like this is why I ask with the the article I'm working on now, you know, I did ask like up front, is it okay if your name is mentioned? How much of your name can be mentioned? Your first name and last name or just your first name? But for sources that don't want to be revealed and they're anonymous, like you know, it could be a job ending story for them, like if their name gets out, like they could lose their job or they could lose other like social networks, like anything that could be at at stake or at risk for them. And so I think that it is important that you protect those sources. And it was just really weird to me. Like, you know, every time I see these types of hearings, I just feel like it reminds me that like our congressmen and women are just not that knowledgeable. (laughs) it's like they're not really doing research and that doesn't make sense because a lot of them were lawyers before they were politicians right they they tried to use reverse psychology it's like so is elon musk not a source and i just like are you fucking kidding me yeah it's just i was just i was like wow this is embarrassing it was embarrassing. The same thing, if you guys go back and you remember the hearing with uh, Brett Kavanaugh, remember that? That was also partisan politics on full display. 
And to see them yelling at each other, arguing with each other, Cory Booker to stand up and say, I am Spartacus. I was like, what the fuck is this? It's embarrassing. I I forgot that Debbie Washerman Soltz was still around. And it was like, I have to say, just <laughs> like not, you know, it's like, oh shit, her. Like the worst, the worst of the worst trying to impugn anybody else's credibility. Like I, I wonder if like the Pramila Jayapal and Ro Khanna seem to be playing the game or if we just say we're progressive, but do it, the Democrats won't, maybe we can get the brass ring someday. And I still think the Democratic Party is more likely to hand it to somebody like Debbie Washington Schultz. They want the people who, you know, know where the bodies are buried. Yeah, I totally hear you there. I think like for someone like Debbie, you know, anyone who challenges her, I think like if she has like, she's had a progressive challenger, Jim Perlman ran against her. But I think the problem that you run into with Debbie is the district. They are, for the most part, those blue dog Democrats, and they're not really looking for someone progressive. And what part does she represent? That Miami-Dade area. Ah, uh, okay. Um, Broward, Broward County. Yeah. Is that like That's the retirement area? Um, I think there's some retirees there, but I mean, there's also people there like with families and stuff like that too. Um, but I think that the the problem that you run into is that number one, she has a lot of money. She's also very well known in that area. And it's always difficult when you're running against someone that everyone knows. Familiarity. Exactly. Roger familiarity. And she had more money to put out more ads, but then also like, she had the DNC in her back pocket. She was the DNC. She was the chair. There you go. She was the one that admitted on the stand, look, we don't got to select in the Democratic presidential primary who the voters want. We pick who we want. Mm-hmm. And the judge said, okay, it's a corporation. They could do what they want. That's fraud. And she's very corporate, but honestly, from what I understand, I interviewed uh, Jen Perlman like two years ago. I think she was the third person I interviewed. And um, she said that like, if you don't live in that district, like a lot of people don't understand if they don't live there, like a lot of the people there, they're not looking for like a Bernie Sanders figure. They're, they're just looking for, again, like Roger said, familiarity and also, too, it is it's South Florida, so you also got to remember who else is in the community. You have a lot of people that have come from Cuba that are heavily against any type of socialist policy. So you have that, too. Yep. That's why someone like uh, that's why like Bernie Sanders. I mean, we didn't get to this part, but that's why like Bernie Sanders probably wouldn't have won Florida. Yeah, I, I could see that. He was, it's, if the if the people hadn't dropped out and the two for Tuesday had gone how the polls had been going before the dropout, Bernie would have won half of the states. It would have been five and five. Then him and Biden would have had like a legit who's more electable argument and it would have been a completely different uh, primary. Yes, I agree. I agree. Right. Well, that's all I got. I know it's late on the East Coast. Uh, good talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Lysol. Okay, I'm going to bring in Marco, and then we'll finish up with bad cookies. 
Hey, Savvy, uh, you were talking earlier about Disney Plus and shows and streaming services and stuff like that. And uh, there are ways to anonymously share files on the internet in which you don't have to um, worry about your ISP coming after you for what files you're sharing because you're sharing them. Uh, you're connecting to a country where the records of your internet traffic are not kept. And so you don't have your ISP can't come after you for what files you're sharing. And these files can be anything you want. Files you make yourself, files of all the current TV shows that people pay streaming services for. So I is would recommend this, that for you. <laughs> is this bootleg, Marco? Um, yes. Uh, so what happens is that in South Korea, there is like uh, the hub of a lot of this kind of manufacturing and these people share these files anonymously on the internet that you can download uh, without being tracked. Marco, you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> I'm talking about everything. Everything I'm talking about here is legal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a loophole. It reminds me of those Napster days. Do you remember Napster, Marco? <laughs> you wouldn't fire a gummy mint. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brady. Sean Fanning. I can host a webinar for this of anyone who's interested. I'm telling you, it's I've been doing it. Um, I learned this because I'm in the tech industry uh, back in. I learned this back in 2005 from some tech workers who were using the company servers to do this, and it's totally untraceable. So yeah, um, I recommend it. Definitely host that web series because I'm listen, there's I mean, too many <laughs> or webinar. I'm sorry. Sure, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, but because there's too many streaming services now. There's too yeah, many. This, see, this is a great way to subvert capitalism because you can watch everything and only support the things you want when you want to go see them in the movies or whatever you want to do, you know. Like, I mean, the, the price they charge you for a goddamn movie? I mean, you should give me a fucking DVD of the thing on my way out, for Christ's sake. And you have ads? Fuck these capitalists. I don't understand why we have to have ads at the movie theater. That is a more recent thing. Yeah. Like, when I was growing up, we had the previews, but not commercials. And why is a pack of Twizzlers $3 more just because of that the movie? I mean, it's, these capitalists are ridiculous. Well, I don't know about you, Marco, but... When I go to the movie theater, well, I didn't the last two times. Usually, when I go to the movie theater, you better I take carry a purse, car. girl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you got smoke my shit in like hot sauce. Listen, this is this is the definition of when Hillary Clinton was like, "I got that hot sauce in my bag." <laughs> Listen. I have, I carry my big purse. I can bring my candy. I can't, I won't have popcorn, but I can bring my candy, my little milk duds, my little <laughs> gummies, all that fun stuff. I can even put a bottle Nibs. of water in my big purse. There you go. Marco. Yeah. Still trying to figure out why do I have to, pay, I'm not saying that you would know, but why do we have to pay the same ticket price for let's say, I don't know, uh, I don't know, some like comedy or romantic comedy or, or like maybe a drama like the Italian drama, something like that. Why do I gotta say pay the same price as if 
like if I was to go to watch like a special effects movie. Like oh, obviously the money the, was go ahead. Yeah, so you're saying that the cost of the product should be included in the price of the product as well. Like it should be reflected in each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I understand if it's a uh if it's some Marvel special effects, James Bond, uh Lord of the Rings. DC movie or something like that, but if it's just, it doesn't have all of that. Yeah, it's just the thing, uh, the thing, you know some well, regular the other movie. Side of that argument, though, is that like all movies have equal equal say, regardless of the way they produce them. So I guess. if you're gonna make a big blockbuster, expensive movie, you're kind of taking a bigger risk because if you make a piece of shit movie, you're gonna lose a bunch of money. Because ultimately, I think there should be a democratization of the time, the time of the consumer who goes to the movie. Okay. Listen, if you guys go to Walmart or Target and you go to the travel section, the travel size item section, you can get like, you know, the little travel size like snacks, like the pretzels and everything. And just put it in your purse. If you don't have a purse, I don't know. Stuff it somewhere else. Guys, like, see, you know what's cool about guys? Like, guys' pants actually have deep pockets. And for females, we don't have that. So you guys can put some of those things in your pocket. The You know, they often air condition those movie theaters. Just bring your winter coat. And be like, I get cold in there. What, you know? You're right. The price of a bottles of Martinelli's or Corbell. the price of one hot dog is the same as a pack of Franks at the supermarket. That's like crazy. It is crazy. I'm trying to tell you guys how to sneak food in. Now, another thing. Well, you, you can just too, eat before you go there. Yeah, you eat. You eat how you about, eat how like about a, we seize the means of production and get a worker co-op movie theater thing going on? That sounds yeah. even better, Marco. That's even more than that, better. a supply chain. Exactly. Built we need to, yeah. These are the means of and 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 the companies that produce the movies. Worker no, no, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, the yeah, entire yeah. supply chain. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I mean, they'd be making people pay seven dollars for a bottle of water. That's like a dollar at the Dollar Tree. It's ridiculous. I ain't got time for it. So, listen, me, my friends, they run everything. They run the movies. They really do. Me and my friends started doing that when I was in college because we were like, look. We're broke college kids. We're not paying $7 for a bottle of water. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I could go to a matinee for $4.25. I would see a movie every goddamn week. I'm telling you. That's a gift a, a gift I like to give for people when people talk about giving people like gifts that are experiences. I like to give people gift cards to the movie theater because most people like to go to the movies at some point, you know? But it, it can be expensive, I think, these days. Yeah. That, that's why they have all those extra amenities now justified, where they got, some of them have the reclining seats, and they have, like, a waiter that comes out and serves you and all that stuff. Yeah, I've seen those two. I've, I've seen those two. I went to one of those one time. It was actually kind of cool. But I mean, like, they used to have, like, those $5 movie theaters. Have you guys ever been to one of those? Like, they used to have, like, the $5 one and the dollar movie theaters. Yeah. Like, when I was growing up. Yeah. 
and the movies would be a little bit older. Like it wouldn't be like a brand new movie there, but still. See, we, we have one of those in Portland that's first run movies and it's just like a, 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 a tiny little theater and they, they run first run movies and they sell pizza at cheap prices and all the food's really cheap. And it's just two screens, so it's really small and it doesn't fit a lot of people. And it's in part of the city that's kind of secluded from the rest of the city. It's hard to get to. It's kind of like a little. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want the wheels on the front. I don't know what Roger's talking about, but um, there's a no. movie theater. There's a movie theater here that's called The Strand. It's in actually Clinton, Massachusetts, but it's called The Strand, and they actually serve spaghetti and meatballs. I'm not kidding. Oh, that's grabbing. And it's cheap, too. You can go there and watch, like, they call them secondhand movies, but, like, you can go there and watch the movies that have been out in the theaters probably about three or four weeks. You can go there and pay less and get some spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, I've been there. It's been a long time. You went, Eric? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we used to go more often. I haven't been to movies in an age, but, yeah. Yeah, it's way cool. It's like a restaurant, theater, movie theater combo. Yeah, they um worth it these days though, gosh. They showed the the Patriots. I saw a Patriots AFC championship game there. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, it was it was fun. Like I was like, oh snap. I was like, do your damn thing, Brady. <laughs> That's back before Brady lost his mind. Brady then lost his old damn family because he wanted to play football again. Never go down that road. You can buy another family. Listen, never go full obsessed, okay? <laughs> you can you can like the game, but never go full obsessed. Okay. What's All Bad right. Cookies got to tell us? Oh yeah, go ahead, Bad Cookies, and then I gotta head out. Hey, what's up? Just got you. You're tripping me out with this shit. <laughs> Anyways, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Hell yeah. Yo, you did a great job on that interview with Matt Taibbi. You you knocked it out the park again. You're doing a real good job. Thanks for that interview. Thank you. I never know if I, I'm really, you know, when I'm doing it, I don't, I don't really, when I'm doing these interviews, I don't really feel like I'm doing that great of a job. <laughs> Damn, Sabby, that's funny because I actually had like a list of interview questions I wanted to ask you because I wanted to interview you. But I cut it down to two because you said you wanted to go to bed real quick. So I just cut it down to two. And I want to spit them out to you if you don't mind, if that's cool with you. Oh, it's a bad cookies it. interview. Ooh, get All the right. popcorn. Bet. <laughs> so, like, you, you're, you were talking about how you don't really think you do a good job in the interviews. But after this interview with Matt Taibbi, how do you feel about your performance with Matt Taibbi's interview? Do you think there's anything you feel you could have done to have improved that or like any anything you wish you could have re rephrased or re-questioned? Oh no, man. Like I it's hard when you're in it, when you're doing it, because you don't I can't see this is gonna sound weird. Like I can't see myself. Like I could see myself if I wanted to. But when I'm interviewing someone, I'm making eye contact with the camera most of the time. So I can't see myself. So I really don't know how I'm doing. And then the other thing with, with him, at least, you know, I did have 
my my questions that I wanted to ask because there were so many questions, I had to write those down. Typically, I don't write the questions down, but I knew I had a lot to ask. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, he's a lot of people have interviewed him. And like, I thought the gray zone interview with him was really, really good. Um, but um. We were talking about before the show. Like, if, if you ask him the same questions he's answered 10 times before, he's going to get that look like, what the hell is this, this one again? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it, man. Like, because I've, I've seen at least three interviews that he's done so far. I saw the one he did with Gray Zone, um, the one he did with Kim Iverson, and the other one was with. Um, the other one was on the, it was on the Jimmy Dore show, but it was Aaron doing the interview. I think it might've been that week when Jimmy was out. And um, I heard, I was like, I can't ask these same questions, man. I can't do it. I can't do, it. oh yeah. Then I saw the one with him and Bree. So I saw four interviews that were done with him. So I was like, I'm not going to ask him. Did he find, so like, I didn't ask him about Assange because I already saw him answer that question Um, before. So I try, I try to avoid that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty much the thing is like, I've really tried not to ask repetitive questions. The other thing that was kind of, that I did kind of notice is like, for me, since it was my first time interviewing him, I'm like, man, there's so much we can ask him. Right. So it's like, I didn't want to just only ask him about the Twitter files. I definitely wanted to, someone told me, mentioned this to me the other day. I can't remember, Eric, I don't remember if it was you or someone mentioned it to me. They said, when you talk to Matt Taibbi, since you've been talking about the banking crisis, make sure you ask him about his book, Griftopia, which I was going to ask him about anyway. Was it you, Eric? Well, I, I said, you should, you should ask him what he thinks is happening with the banks now because he's covered that before. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take credit for that one. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because um, I did want to ask him about that book, but um, it was going to be a different question. But yeah, it's just it's one of those things like, I don't know, like I, I try to I do try to watch other interviews with that person before I interview that person, because I don't like asking the same questions. Sorry, that was a long answer, bad cookie. No, absolutely not. Take your time. These are your your interview questions, you answer them however you wish. Um, in my personal perspective, after witnessing the interview and from my point of view, I feel he was quite appreciative of the interview that you gave him. And honestly, if you have more questions for him, it wouldn't be out of the ballpark to act, to really consider that he would come back to your show. I think he would come back, no question. But um, I'll go into my second question for you and then I'll let you go to bed so I won't keep you up all night. Uh, having done so many interviews up to this date, you know, you've done several of them. Are there any of them that like really stick out in your mind? Like which ones are your favorites and which ones you really didn't like? Any of them like really stick out as a sore, sore thumb to you or ones you really appreciated? Oh boy. Um, well, I really did like the one that I, I just did with Matt Taibbi. I, I felt like it was informative. Um, ones that stick out. So this one sticks out, but not for a good reason. Um, the one with Rokana, like that one just really, I was so 
irritated the entire interview. I, I tried not to let it show on my face, but I was very irritated because I don't like being, I don't like when people like BS me. And I felt like he was just bullshitting the entire time. Um, So that one, that one really, that's why I said, people like, you should bring Roe back on. I was like, yeah, not interested because I, I know what he's about. So I don't, I don't really need to ask him questions again, just for him to bullshit people, because I really do think that his goal is to run for president in 2028. And I think that's why he's going on all, he's doing all these fucking interviews, to be honest with you. Um, so that one really stood out. One that I really didn't like, <laughs> I really did not like the interview that I did with the World Socialist website, dude, Eric. Like, that one really, I mean, in the beginning, I, I felt like it started off great. But then when he started that telling me who to talk to and who I should work with and all that, I'm like, the fuck? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It kind of seemed like to me it came across as kind of cultish if you want to limit yourself to your small segment of 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 uh trotskys in the world good luck getting a movement started so like that i didn't like i also felt like um i felt like nothing was good enough for him like i felt like obviously he's against the democratic party which i totally understand i am too but I felt like he was also against everything else. Like, I felt like he was against Shama Sawan. I felt like he was against Socialist Alternative. He was against Worker Strike Back. He was against anything outside of that Trotsky bubble. And you can't build a movement that way. And so that, that one was really irritating to me. I really did not expect him to call people like Nazis and shit on the show. That was not what I was expecting at all all and by the way he reached out to me i didn't reach out to him for the interview so that one really rubbed me the wrong way i like the interview i had with um well i've had two but i like the interviews i have with chris hedges because i feel like every time i talk to him i feel like i do learn something new even with him same thing i try not to ask same questions that people tend to ask chris hedges um i like the one with cornell west it's been a lot of interviews, man. I I can't even remember like, like all of them, you know, so to speak. But um, I like the the most recent one I did with Max Blumenthal because I felt like compared to the other interviews that I did with Max, because of what just happened with the Rage Against the War Machine rally, I felt like that was Max off the cuff, if that makes sense. And of course, Jimmy, Jimmy's always fun. <laughs> when Jimmy comes on for an interview, it's like, you, I know I'm going to get two things. He's going to like vent, but he's also going to be funny. Jimmy's a wild card. It's always entertaining to have him around. <laughs> I, I love your entire uh, answer there. I, I agree with a lot of it. A one that always I've always enjoyed that you did was the... Uh, God, uh, the the one you did with uh, Kashama Sawant where she was like, what the actual fuck? I still love that quote. <laughs> it's one of the best. Um, you know, you've done a lot of good works, Abby. And, uh, well, I'll leave it there with those interview questions. Maybe some time down the line, I, I get more time to ask you some more. I really want to sit down and ask you about this Panama City trip during your spring break. This should, this should, <laughs> this should be wild. I want to hear about this. But thanks for your time, Sabi. You have a good night. Thank you so much, Cookies. I do just want to clarify. I think the 
the interview with Shamus the one you're referring to, that was I think that was Bree's interview where she said what in the actual fuck with Shama and Ryan Graham. I've interviewed Shama multiple times though, so I don't you know, we've we've talked about different things each time, but most deaf. All right, guys, it is past my bedtime. I am going to sleep. <laughs> but I'll be back uh live later on tonight. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, Noel. <laughs> good morning and good night. Missouri morning, tomorrow. Night. Sorry, I'm sorry. Thank you for the Missouri morning, tomorrow. Morning. Thank you for the Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye.